special episode of the streaming heap i have here with me my usual co-host the og sexy santa aka <laughs> atlas rotted <laughs> aka the unapologetic geek himself eric hey eric uh hi i think <laughs> i thought you might object very highly to atlas strutted <laughs> um yeah <laughs> well if you don't get that joke that's good that's good you you don't need to <laughs> that's, that's what that's where you should be that's how you should live your life um and of course my name is lynn no pseudonyms because you know once you stop struck oil you stop <laughs> <laughs> you stop digging. <laughs> so you think Lynn uh, is, is oil, huh? Mm, yeah, like Madonna, you know, just mm. a prince. It's <laughs> one word, you know it. <laughs> it's mostly because you whiteies can't pronounce the rest. <laughs> um. Anyway, Guilty Eric. Charged. <laughs> long time, long time no talk. How have you been? I've been okay. I've I've gone on a vacation. Um, I just got back and now I have a cold because of the post vacation yeah. cold. So that's yeah, fun. Fair enough. <laughs> I, I got my cold during the vacation. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you might notice we haven't had an, ep- uh, an episode in a little while. Not a big gap, a couple of weeks, uh, because, you know, it's holiday season. I actually went on a long holiday as well. So he traveled to America. <laughs> mm, I did go to America. At at one point, I think I sent you a message that says, is LA depressing or am I just depressing in LA? <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, no, no, it's definitely LA. <laughs> LA is very depressing. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, no, that was fun. Like, I liked it. That was like three weeks. Uh, some of it, I think we went a little bit too hot, hence the getting sick. I didn't see anything at all in San Fran because... I got sick. <laughs> um, at least it wasn't COVID. That's true. <laughs> um, so this will be probably be the first episode you guys are hearing in 2023. We have a whole new plan for our podcast in 2023. Uh, Eric, do you want to try and explain to the viewer a little bit what we got <laughs> going on? Well, I'm not sure I can explain what we already do, but no. Um... <laughs> <laughs> For this new year, what we're gonna do is we're gonna we're gonna start breaking down shows episode by episode. Like when we originally started this show, it was with Foundation, and we were going episode by episode, and we really enjoyed that, and it really like gave us the breathing room to shine and talk a lot um, about what we wanted to talk about, and not have to mm. rush through anything. Um, yes. Yeah. So that's what we're gonna start doing from from not this episode, but from the next episode onward. Um, kind of this episode as well. We're covering one movie in this That's episode true. i guess <laughs> um yeah uh so basically you know especially talking about andor towards the end in like episode like in smaller blocks of episode we realize that you know we're not re- we shine a lot more when we're talking in depth ridiculous level about 
content rather than surface level like how was it oh we liked it what do we like about it you know yeah like, and or really prove the point to us i think yeah yeah, yeah. And really, like, um, crack, cracking foundation back when we were talking about foundation, that was, like, I think still the most fun we had week to week. And and I think the audience had the most fun. We certainly had the most audience back then as well. <laughs> yeah, we had really uh, good numbers back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And hey. And also, it's, it's we have yeah. a little bit more time. I don't have to try to binge an entire season of something. 100%, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we can focus on the analysis and what to talk about more than just having to watch twelve hours of TV <laughs> this week. <laughs> um, especially now that I'm working full time again, that can be a little bit, little bit of a challenge, especially considering how you know inebriated I am. Often. <laughs> <laughs> Should I change my drinking habit? No, the podcast need to change. <laughs> Yes, it's the podcast's fault, not yours. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the exciting news is um, we are going to start with peripheral. Um, That's we peripheral. Know... <laughs> peripheral, sorry. Yeah, peripheral. Okay, maybe I should have picked something that I can pronounce on a... <laughs> properly on a regular basis. Um, <laughs> so um, we know the season is concluded. But neither of us have seen any of the episodes, and we are gonna watch it one episode at a time, and then talk about it, and then watch the next episode. Um, well, when we were doing uh, Foundation, we were doing episodes that they come out. Um, let's see if this will work. Um, but we are very excited. It's right up our alley. It's based on a um, William, William Gibson, Gibson novel. Yeah, one of his uh, more recent ones. Yeah, neither have I. Yeah, I haven't read it. Have you, Nella? Um, I think I'm reading Pattern Recognition. That is ah, that's one of my well, favorites. Right? I love Pattern yeah? Recognition. Yeah. Um, I am in love with the main character because she is a fashion snob, and <laughs> I, I like how she talk about um clothing in terms of like allergy. She's just allergic to basic things. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, I love this toxic <laughs> woman. <laughs> Um, but yeah, sorry, I got sidetracked. So yeah, look forward to that. Um, yeah, we're looking, we're really looking forward to it. Uh, I, I've been wanting to watch that show for a while now as well. Like I've been holding off deliberately just so we can do it this way. So that will be <laughs> next week. But um, this week we'll be talking about um some of them. I know this will be the first episode you're listening in the new year, and Christmas is over. But then we, I, we still kind of think of it as a holiday special episode, you know. We so have to I'll do something because we just love the holiday <laughs> specials. <laughs> yes. So I'll be very quickly talking about the Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special, Violent Night, aka um, Sexy Santa Die Hard, um, <laughs> and Spirited, um, aka um, A Christmas Carol, but now. <laughs> um, and for uh, the main part of our podcast, we'll be talking about Glass Onion, which we're very excited to talk about. Um, I actually haven't asked Eric what he thought about it. <laughs> I think in, in general, he's positive. Like I, can, I get that vibe, but I'm saving it to do it, do it on the pod. Um, so I reveal as always, nothing. As, <laughs> as always, um, tying coats will be below. But before all that... Briefly, since it's very we've presumptuous about... of you that I'll put time codes in there, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you usually do. You I usually do. do. I do. <laughs> um, uh, 
so in the months I've been away, I feel like there's been like a thousand news. Um, I think the DC universe has gone through like three iterations. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Henry Cavill has been hired and fired from about four different jobs. <laughs> or quit. <laughs> just, um, wish he could go back to The Witcher. Just, just go back. Just beg for the job back. They'll give it to you. Just, just do that. <laughs> I don't think he wants to, man. No, I he think doesn't. He, I think he genuinely yeah, think wants he, to leave it. Yeah, I think he quit because he wanted to quit. Like, I don't think he quit. Well, I mean, I, I bet he quit because he thought he was going to get Spider-Man, not Superman, Superman back. But I don't think he quit because he got Superman back. <laughs> I think that was just like one of the one of the reasons, but not the main reason. Yeah. Sorry, I'm also drinking a giant frozen Coke. <laughs> Without <laughs> alcohol. Good... Just for the record. Yeah, yeah for a team, for the for a record. Um New Year, New Me. It's not New Year yet. <laughs> uh <laughs> But yeah, so we're not going to touch upon the a thousand things that happened while we were away. There was also another thing I was, while I was in America, something happened. You can cut this bit out. It's just me digressing. Something happened that I was like, I wish I we were recording a podcast right now. Now I can't remember. <laughs> Good story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, something I do briefly want to talk about, though, like a thousand trailers drop oh yeah so many trailers i haven't even seen them all (laughs) especially because it was brazil brazil comic-con i believe yeah yeah, yeah. um okay you want to quickly touch upon some of them are you excited about the new indiana jones no (laughs) no i didn't actually watch the trailer so take that the trailer's pretty good okay um they show off a really good um, de-aging effect in the beginning of the trailer, but towards the end of the trailer, they sh- <laughs> they should not have used this scene. It is clearly not ready um, uh, of Indy on a horse, but it's clearly a stuntman, and Harrison Ford's face is so poorly CGI'd <laughs> onto that face. Like, he is facing entirely the wrong way from the way the neck is oriented. Like, I don't understand why they use that shot. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> There's a whole controversy about some asshole on the internet saying the plot is going to be um the the new female character. I forgot the actress they hired for um for that role. Uh she's playing like um Indy's goddaughter or something, I believe. Okay. Um, I, I really like that actress. I, I should have remembered. Um but some guy online was saying like the plot is going to be her going back in time to Indy's adventures and kind of like supplanting Indy and making different choices. Um, and that that thing took so much hold online that the director has to come out and be like, hey, that's not the plot. That's very silly. <laughs> that's a very dumb thing somebody who just <laughs> wants clicks for, uh, for money is <laughs> saying. Like he went pretty hard. He was like, "Look, this is what all these people do. Like they just lie for money, and they they want you to they want to tell you things that um sounds outrageous in the cultural war that you're interested in." Um, yeah. So I appreciate the director coming out and saying like, "This guy's a liar." <laughs> <laughs> um, there's also another trailer for a movie called Sixty Five with Adam Driver, where the trailer completely ruined the twist of the movie. <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I wish trailers would stop doing this. <laughs> <laughs> if you want, like, okay, 
the general premise is a sci-fi movie with Adam Driver. He crashed land on a planet and um, he has to gather back all the cryogenically frozen passengers that he was in charge of. And there is hostile um, and like hostile life forms on this planet. If that sounds intriguing to you, do not go watch the trailer. Just go watch the movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, clearly this trailer is cut by somebody who doesn't have enough confidence in being able to sell this without giving away the twist. But you should just go watch it. Like, it's Adam Driver. At least you know the performance will be good. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, imagine a trailer for, like, Planet of the Apes where they show you the Statue of Liberty in the trailer. Yeah. (laughs) Not just show you the Statue of Liberty. And then, like, after showing you the Statue of the Liberty, they put it... (laughs) They put the text on the screen that says, it was us all along. <laughs> like that kind of level of trailer Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of Planet of the Apes without thinking like, can I play the piano? Well, I couldn't before. <laughs> I love um, you, Dr. Zayas. <laughs> I don't know how we got I... sidetracked there. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, is there any other trailers that jumped out? There was so many, so many. Uh, like, um, yeah, it's like I knew there were a bunch that I wanted to talk about, but now that I'm like on the podcast and we're talking, I can't actually come up with any of them. Like, you uh, got another of the galaxy. Was there a trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy? Really? Yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy three trailer. Yeah, totally missed uh, that. <laughs> they, <laughs> a bunch of Mario trailers, which is yeah, actually Mario. making me really want to watch Mario. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking um, of Chris Pratt, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, it's the, the Chris Pratt block of SCGC. <laughs> um, uh, there's also news that the Flash trailers will be tied to the Super Bowl. That trailer better be the best fucking trailer anybody have ever seen if they're gonna make everyone forget the shit show that is DC and Snyderverse and the Flash <laughs> as Ramilla. Um, uh, yeah. So Maybe it'll just be a clip of like Amber Heard beating the crap out of him. That'd be great. Or them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the character is him. Ezra Miller is them. right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think I'm, oh, is Amber Heard going to be in this one? That's another nah, problem. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> the question is whether or not she's even going to be in uh, Aquaman 2, if that's ever coming out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. Anyway, uh, let's just move on to talking. We don't about need to get the down Christmas there. Special. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, let's start with Guardians of Guardian of the Galaxy Christmas Special. Yeah. Uh, this is second of Marvel um, special presentations, and so far, two out of two. Um, yep. You've actually seen this as well. What did you? I think? have. Uh, hi, Marks, man. Like um, James Gunn's really good at at doing that. Um, cultural nostalgia thing like mm, yeah. feels like a christmas special it even has like that animated yeah. opening and closing and all that um yeah. a very like saccharine sweet christmas message it's it's great yes. like i love it um yeah it has it has it's all humor but like it's not it's not like making fun of itself you know like it's not it's knowing but not self-deprecating exactly that's that's what yeah. i mean yeah and i love um, that basically the main character is mantis um because yes. As the one character in the Guardians who wasn't in the original movie, she's the character who has the most work to do as a character. And I really like that they put her front and center. Yes. And her character is 
clearly evolving as well. I I like how power dynamic with um Drex has definitely changed. Like Drex was bullying her a lot in two, and by three, uh, by um by um end game, um Infinity War they were pretty much level. Like they 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 idiots together. Right, right. And now like they partner in crime, but like there are times in which she chew him out. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like they're both kind of lovable idiots but you you get a sense that she's definitely smarter than he is yeah yeah <laughs> she would just fish out of water yeah drex is an idiot idiot drex is just a dumbass <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah uh, uh i know this sounds like an insult but i swear it's not <laughs> i think um james gunn is good at making movies for man in arrested development because he's a man in arrested development <laughs> absolutely yeah <laughs> that's that's like his hallmark man <laughs> um i like the the rotoscope cartoon at the beginning um it's a kind of crappy in a throwback way i have friends who's like i don't like it like i don't care if it is a nostalgia crappy like the animation was crappy <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's not actually animation. It's actually rotoscoped over actors, uh, but it's deliberately low frame rate. Like it's like twelve frame a second. Like one of those like old school cartoons, like like the original Tintin one. You know, right? Yeah, which was like ten frames a second or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Five <laughs> scenes in that Tintin show is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's like a, a, a shot of somebody pulling the fist back and a shot of somebody going, ow! <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I'm the same. Like, I really like Mantis uh, being central to this. And the Mantis being revealed as um, his sister, them taking the time to do this in the Christmas special is actually really good, I think. Like, it's... Um, James Gunn kind of is kind of using this uh, Christmas special as a bridge between the two shows in a way that where like he's clearly you putting things in here that he doesn't want to spend time developing in three, right? Right, like the fact that they bought nowhere <laughs> and introducing yeah. Cosmo and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the um, Mantix being um, Star Lord's sister, everybody assumed that from two, but they never made a big deal out of it. They never made a reveal out of it. And it's it feel like something you shouldn't just slide into three as a fact. So this as a bridge where they reveal that, I think that's great. And it also, I think Guardians as they stand, like the current group of Guardians will pretty much end in Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Yeah. This, um, this position mantis to perhaps continue on and maybe even lead a new iteration of the Guardians of the Galaxy going forward. Um, because Mantis is actually pretty important in the comics. Like she's oh, the Celest Celestial Madonna. Um, and revealing her as also as also an offspring of ego, a celestial, that that opens the door to them developing that story further if they want it. Um, I let's also, talk about. I also about. like how um, Star Lord, as a character, mm -hmm. is a, is a lot more mature. Um, yes, he's definitely done some a lot of growth. He's not he's not as much of a goofball as you know. You've got Drax and Mantis center stage, so he's a lot more reserved. They say he's depressed. I don't really read depressed. I just read more 
I don't know, uh, standoffish. Uh, may- but- yeah, maybe a little heartbroken, you know? Yeah, but he he definitely seems to be taking things more seriously in a in a yeah. I don't yeah. know, but he's still able to look at like the Christmas lights with awe, and yeah, he's still yeah. able to tell yeah. Mantis, you know, you telling me you're my sister's yeah. the greatest Christmas gift anybody gave me, all that stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, it's a believable evolution, not a complete character rewrite, right? And uh, as somebody who is going through Chris Pratt fatigue, this actually went a long way towards getting me ready for Guardians 3, a a Chris Pratt heavy thing again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because, like, I I wasn't like, I'm like, if he's just going to be the man-child again in 3, like, I'm a bit man-child out in MCU. (laughs) I'm not only Chris Pratt out, but, like, after Thor Love and Thunder, which I didn't really hate as much as other people, but that was also just a gaggle of man-childs. Yeah, definitely. I'm like, sometimes I'm like, in the middle of this movie, I'm like, can somebody call an adult? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, call Captain America, even Falcon, right? (laughs) Somebody with a maturity level of over 20. He'll just tell you to do better. (laughs) (laughs) You're never going to get over that speech, are you? No, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I really like that song in the beginning. Oh, yeah, me too. Um, And actually, so did my son, who was watching with me. Yeah. Uh, he thought it was the best. <laughs> yeah, it is. it's actually on my Spotify playlist now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Not surprised. Uh, I just love, like, and the premise of that song being written over, like, Chinese whispers about Christmas uh, <laughs> um, going down the line. If you listen to the lyrics pro- uh, properly, it's very cleverly written. Like, you can pinpoint which part of the 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 wrong law came from who right right <laughs> <laughs> like um the part about the elves like uh, going to unionize and poke out santa's eyes. eyes i'm like that's rocket rocket <laughs> inserted that <laughs> oh my god and rocket got got bucky's arm <laughs> yes <laughs> yes um yeah um uh, Poor Bucky. Because <laughs> that's not like I at first um glance I was like, oh, she must have gotten got his old arm. But on rewatch, no, it's the vibranium arm. arm. <laughs> his current arm. I don't know <laughs> when uh we watch um the next Captain America new um movie, New All New World Order, Bucky should just start that movie without an arm. It's just like <laughs> no explanation. <laughs> Yeah, no explanations better. <laughs> it's like uh, you get recruited, and he's like, "Okay, but we gotta go get me a new arm." <laughs> I need a new arm. <laughs> um, what happened to your old arm? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> uh, and of course, the big draw of this is Kevin Bacon. What do, What do you think? Kevin Bacon pretty much kind of like playing a hyper real version of himself. Yeah, I mean, like, he's obviously having fun with it, and that's fine. Like, I love Kevin Bacon, so... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he did well. Uh, um, He did well, and I especially love um, when Mantis and Drex find out that he's an actor and say, like, <laughs> we hate actors! <laughs> and he's just all under the spell, so he's just like, you know, normally I, that would really piss me off, but I don't know, pretty cool with this. <laughs> <laughs> the Mantis... um suddenly being able to mind control is uh, a bit out of left field, but whatever. I don't really care about things like that. Like, 
she has even uh, more powers in the in the comics man she can like see yeah. the future and stuff yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um so that's pretty funny um yeah chris brett having to be the rest well star lord having to be the responsible one because he has to take care of this gaggle of idiots <laughs> is <laughs> very funny um i don't like swole groot swole groot is creepy it doesn't look right man this is weird it's the face the <laughs> face still look like baby groot but he has like he looked like big the rock <laughs> i don't know man <laughs> um somebody pointed out that they probably did it so the redesign is probably so they can make a suit that a man can get into for Disneyland. I guess that makes sense, yeah. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, all Groot, you can't really put a man in there, you know? <laughs> yeah, not everybody's built like, uh, what's his name? Um, never mind. <laughs> guy whose name I can't remember. Not everybody's built like a super tall and thin man that whose name Gary can't remember. <laughs> He's in Discovery, you know that guy. <laughs> Anson Mount? No. Oh, um, oh no, I know who you're talking about. Um, he's also in Hellboy. Yeah, yeah, he's an actor who's done a lot of stuff, but like, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, he's from the movie about fish fucking. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, look it up. <laughs> Just type in fish fucking movie into Google. <laughs> <laughs> and watch the first thing that pops up. I'm sure you'll love it. <laughs> uh, Cosmo the dog is a fucking treasure. Um, <laughs> I've been playing um, a lot of Marvel Snap, um, a, little bit, a little bit of a side tangent. Um, and uh, the way the cards are in Marvel Snap is really uh, <laughs> impacting my enjoyment of those characters in other MCU <laughs> entertainment, right. which is not a good way to think. Um, and the deck I've built, Cosmo is the silver bullet for my deck. So I kind of hate Cosmo right now, but Cosmo <laughs> in this is such a delight. <laughs> um, I like how they went with a like a Russian accented lady. Um the voice actress is the lady who played Borat's daughter in Borat 2, by the way. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I think she also plays like um she also do some stuff with Conan O'Brien. Uh, I can't remember exactly what. Um, so any closing thoughts about this? Like, it is just a wholesome Christmas fun. Like, I can see myself putting this on every Christmas. Yeah, it's just, it's fun. And it's, 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 it's light. And it's, it's got a good, you know, heartwarming saccharine message. Yeah, go for it. Mm. Like, it's good. Yeah, yeah, And it's like a... This is the way they should think about and shoot um, these special presentations, I think. Um, because if you listen to it, apparently this was pitched um, during Guardian of the Galaxy 2. And then um, Kevin Feige like jokingly said, like, yeah, 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 sure. Like, give me a script and, I, <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, I'll let you do it. And like, half joking didn't really right. think in the middle of <laughs> shooting a movie James Gunn would really do it and apparently James Gunn wrote the script in like three days and sent it to him and Feige's like this looks good okay, um, let's do and it. then <laughs> they did it they shot it while they shot um, like I think right after um, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 oh really uh, it could be right before so the nowhere set is clearly the one they're going to use in Guardians of the Galaxy right, 3, yeah. right? And the other set is just a suburban street. Like, so they this is like a bottle episode. They only had 
too sad, really. Like, like the Earth Street slash um, uh, Kevin Bacon's house and nowhere is sad. And but it still have movie level production values. It doesn't feel like it. <laughs> Um, thingy. So no, I, think I was genuinely should... surprised. It didn't feel like a bottle episode. You know, like that's what you right. expect from this kind of thing. Exactly, you know? exactly. But it is a bottle episode. It just doesn't feel like it, exactly. You know? It just doesn't feel that way. Yeah. Um. So they really need to start thinking about these special presentations, like in conjunctions with movies. I think, like uh, being able to borrow like um set and set pieces and cgi and actors as they shooting the bigger movies could really make for really good production like um good production value special presentations that doesn't really cost them a lot of money i think yeah i think that like you know, now there's news that Genosha is going to be um, supposedly in New World Order, right? So imagine if they, like, it doesn't even have to do anything to do with New World Order. If they plan ahead while they were doing Genosha and set pieces, they could just shoot a special presentation in Genosha right. about a random mutant or whatever, right? <laughs> right, right. Like, that's the kind of, that's the kind of production thinking they should do. That's That's my pitch anyway. I don't know. I don't work for them. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Uh, let's move on to Violet Night, which you haven't actually seen, have you? No, I haven't. I'm going to let you do most of the talking. Uh, let my so, throat rest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're also sick. Um, so Violet Night is, the, if you haven't heard of it, the pitch is essentially, you know how everybody think about um, Die Hard as a quintessential Christmas movie? Well, what if we just do Die Hard again, <laughs> but make it more of a Christmas movie by making it actually about Santa? What if John <laughs> McClane was Santa? That's the pitch. It's actually a great idea, like if you really think about it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's crazy enough to work, and it kind of works. A lot of people are really high on this. I'm not. Like I think it is a lot of good idea with average to terrible execution. Maybe one or okay, like three. Like I'll be generous. Three or so shining moments. Um, but it's the the writing, the like there's the premise idea aspect and then there's the actual execution of writing the characters writing the dialogue aspect right the writing just doesn't really do any real service to the idea <laughs> right it's like, like somebody had an idea but didn't know how to do anything with it yeah like first of all at points they're like oh this is like a throwback 90s style movie right which makes sense because it's trying to ape die hard but they don't do that very well. Like there's like production decisions and like even like music decisions and stuff where I, I just think, I just don't think they're well-versed enough with what make 90 movie, 90 movies. Like, I think they just really liked Die Hard at Home Alone. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> like, like for one thing, like it start, it start by establishing the Santa law. And David Harbour played like, a disillusion kind of disgruntled real center. Um, and it starts with setting him up as real center, and he's just like getting drunk in a bar, um, just bemoaning that kids these days just 
want like that 15 seconds of joy from opening a present and then next and then they want the next best thing they want the next best thing right like and not enough people believe anymore um they kind of imply that his magic is tied to belief but they don't straight up say it but he doesn't really understand how his magic work either right um and like that disillusion center trope is nothing new right that's bad santa right that's like like most of the santa claus movies <laughs> you know <laughs> um um th- that's um even that movie rise of the guardians <laughs> oh yeah i remember that <laughs> yeah remember like guardians of gahul and rise of the guardians came up in the same I know, years it was and everybody was confused which yeah. way <laughs> um uh, I remember liking Rise of the Guardians. I haven't seen it. I since really like it, out, but I liked it. Yeah, I really like Rise of the Guardians. Um, I don't understand why the Easter Bunny was Australian. That was very <laughs> confusing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, and then it cuts to like the family whose um, whose gigantic family estate um, end up getting raided by terrorists. Like. They establish the the family second. They establish Santa first, and I think they started off wrong. A ninety movie, way around, yeah, yeah, a ninety like exactly like immediately you 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 nailed it, right? I just don't. I think this script like needed a few parts from people who love ninety movies. Like immediately you like you recognize that you haven't even seen it. It's just that uh, they should have called with me. the family. They couldn't afford <laughs> you, me though. You. Okay. You start with an like an overhead shot of a super uh, suburbia, uh, some Christmas trees building for the jingle ball music. You start with the establishing shots, and then you cut to the family shit first, right? And then right. you establish the center. That's the ninety. So no brainer. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Um, uh, sorry, like I- I'm in a lot of script doctor mo- mood today. So especially because I've been watching like um uh, well thought out movies like Glass Onion. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so, and what they really want to do is like, they clearly want to do like, like the John Wick style vibe, like brutal action scenes, but die hard with the center. Right. Right. But the thing is the fight scenes are written so poorly. Like I watched it with a friend and immediately he was like, why are the people with guns just running at people? (laughs) And like you know, you know that's like a bush league mistake in action movies. Like, um, ironically, that is actually a call is actually callback to bad 80, 90s movie right, where yeah. they used to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but that is a callback they shouldn't do. <laughs> Even if deliberate, they made a mistake. <laughs> um, and I don't like. I don't. It didn't ruin my enjoyment of the whole movie. My friend, though, the. Like after like the third time somebody run at a person <laughs> with gun in hand, like I know, like I know on his face that he has written this movie off. I think he would have gone up and turned it off if I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Andrew for sitting through this movie with me. <laughs> and you know me, like as much as I'm criticizing now, in the moment I can enjoy things. Like I can laugh, uh, even then, like I, I can even laugh at how bad the thing I'm watching is most of the time. There are some exceptions and enjoyment. So like half the time he's like, he's looking at me like, are you, are you enjoying this shit? I don't know what to say. But like trying not to ruin Christmas. We watched it on Christmas Day as well. <laughs> <laughs> 
you also feed off of the torment of others. So like if you're watching it with that somebody, is true. Yeah. That's true. That's true. You're correct. I, I am like a like a pain succubus. <laughs> Uh, but um, the thing is, if all you want is Santa just being brutal to like a gaggle of bad guys, <laughs> this will deliver. Like, um, um, especially later in the show, like he finds a hammer and he goes to town on like twenty bad guys. <laughs> they all, they also severely misunderstand Die Hard. In Die Hard, he fight like six guys. He's a normal guy who fight like six guys, okay? In here, they were like, Santa's magic. And I'm like, half the time, I'm like, why was Santa even like, how magic is he? Like, they keep saying, they keep repeatedly saying he doesn't understand how his magic works. That's a good enough lampshading device. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't, he's a magic Santa man. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't really understand why I should be worried about him at all. Like, <laughs> and... And he take out like 30 people in total during the, this movie. <laughs> Maybe more. <laughs> um, but the brutal fight scenes are brutal. Like I, I did enjoy a massive um like there's there's a scene towards the middle where he fights like like 20 SWAT guys and there's just a lot of set pieces being used in a fun way. Like he decapitated a dude with the um uh I skate. Um, he threw people into a wood chipper. That that kind of like you know that kind of uh, brutal fight scenes. Like if you're looking for that, yeah. Like and David Harbour. David Harbour is David Harbour. He's a great actor, right? Yeah. Like it's hard like, not to love David Harbour. Yeah, yeah. Like the he. I've never seen a man deliver so many ho ho hos <laughs> and make it seem natural. Like one of it is in response to uh, how well he killed a man and i'm like this this delivery is natural like this wouldn't this would fall flat from any other <laughs> um the one thing though like they went pretty hard on the law which i think is also a mistake like 90s movies especially like throwaway blockbuster style like throwaway christmasy movies they never do law like like no they in, avoid in it yeah, in Predator, you never fucking find out what the fuck is happening, do you? Right. Like, and when they tell you a little bit more in Predator 2, it sucked. <laughs> um, but they, they at some point they like they goes back to this sentence origin, who which is he used to be a Viking raider, and then before he became Santa, and like and he used to kill people with a hammer called Skull Crusher, which <laughs> lead into the payoff about him finding a hammer in the garage and going into town. Right. Um, I find that oddly intriguing. Like, so if this make enough money and if they continue on, and the director said they do want to continue on, and he said he wants <laughs> to incorporate other other mythical factors like the Easter Bunny and the Dude Fairy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um if they want to continue on and get better script writers, I'm on board. Cause, but this is not a movie I I find myself watching every Christmas. Like this is not becoming a Christmas classic. Tradition. It yeah. try a little bit too hard. There is also an extended bit about Home Alone, uh, because they lampshade it. Uh, like the, there's a little girl that the center is center is trying to rescue from this big compound being raided by terrorists. Um, but they're not terrorists. They're like more like thieves, um, like high-profile thieves. Um, and 
the movie start with the little girl um saying that she just watched Home Alone, and right. at some point she's like, "I'm gonna like I'm hiding. I'm gonna set traps like Home Alone." And the premise of that extended scene is like, "What if Home Alone was R-rated? Like, what if Home Alone was R-rated and then you get to see people actually get fucked up?" Um, and that scene kind of worked. Like, especially in the contrast with the little girl being like so pure and innocent, that was the whole point of her character. Uh, that scene really landed for me. Um, but the thing is, the thing about what if Home Alone is R rated is the way how dumb the wet bandits are is necessary for the joke that is Home Alone, right? And they so they do that in this scene, but these guys. That, that's not the tone of this movie. These guys are supposed to be legit scary burglars until two minutes ago. So the tonal shift is jarring, but not in a fun way. Right. <laughs> um, and then they go, but the, the joke that land is they go back and forth between like um, the, the guy, the, the burglars being like, seriously, you think it'll work? And then it working? <laughs> <laughs> like I, I, they, they kind of like, repeat that joke about four or five times and maybe I'm an easy mark (laughs) I find it funny every time (laughs) (laughs) but um they do a bit about like not not a bit like they there's a little bit about um Mrs. Claus um um, it is implied that Santa Claus and Mrs. Claus uh, relationship is a little bit strained but throughout the the proceeding he lament how he let it get that way and then how he's going to fix it. And then there is a payoff at the end because at some point early in the movie, the reindeers fled with the st- the um, sled because they've heard they hear gunshots. But at the end of the movie, the reindeers came back, but um, with a note from Mrs. Claus with Skullcrusher. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, hey, honey, you might need this. Um, so... What I want from a sequel is for them to put Mrs. Claus in it and for them to reveal that Mrs. Claus is a Valkyrie. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Like, I think they need to hire somebody who's imposing. Like, Brienne, the actress who played Brienne and slash Lucifer in Salmon. Hire her, make her a Valkyrie, make a sequel (laughs) that is, um, that is like uh, uh, Santa getting captured as revenge for what he did in this movie, and Mrs. Claus, has to Valkyrie, go. Brienne, has him. to go and rescue him, and then they have to fight their way out. That will be a good sequel. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so let's move on to Spirited. Which I also haven't seen. But you have been hearing good things about it, haven't you? Yeah, a lot of people have told me to watch it. Um, a lot of people do have you, said it's really, really good. Do you know the basic premise? Of what, what do you, like, okay, so, because I want to know how ineffective Apple's advertising for this movie has been, <laughs> I want you to tell me what you know about Spirited. Uh, it's not much. I know it's a Christmas movie, and I know that it has Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell in it. That's about it. <laughs> do you know it's pretty much a Christmas carol? Only because you said it, like, an hour ago. <laughs> oh, okay. So, yeah. They, now in the trailer, they 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 show parts of it is um, a Christmas Carol, but they that trailer is poor. Like it's just like a lot of smash cuts of Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell singing and dancing, which doesn't mean anything without context. Right. <laughs> uh, but the premise is, it is a Christmas Carol for modern time. Um, but the 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 ghost of Christmas past, ghost of Christmas present, ghost of Christmas future, all of them 
has a thousand like ghost support um, workers helping them. It is actually their job. It's like, <laughs> yes, Ryan Reynolds is in another IPD style movie. <laughs> <laughs> like after in Afterlife, a bunch of ghosts have this job where they're supposed to um, study all year long. They're supposed to study and um, prepare to change a person's um, life like in a Christmas carol right. by Christmas. So they prepare for a whole year and then at Christmas they do the Christmas carol. And in this well, a Christmas carol exists like the uh, the original Dickens story and all the movies. It is essentially our world. So like uh, people talk about Christmas carol repeatedly. Um, and Ryan Reynolds characters play uh, he's like a PR uh, guy. Like he he's a he's a PR guy. That's he, he's essentially um, the guy from Mad Men and um, the guy from Thank You for Smoking combined into a character, but like a hundred times worse. Okay, <laughs> like, he's the kind of guy who's uh, like manufacturing like political um, scandals to get people elected. He's the kind of guy who, uh, when we meet him, he's um, He's pitching an idea to make the um, Christmas tree, um, the authentic Christmas tree sellers of America um, uh, about their failing business. And his idea is essentially culture war. Just like <laughs> buy into the culture war, like um, and make sure like people who use plastic tree are called like libtards. <laughs> it's no, you know, right, right. <laughs> like, that, is, that is his character. And um and he's he's considered unredeemable, but uh, Will Ferrell's character, who's the Ghost of Christmas Present, decided that if they could change him, it would cause a great ripple that is a lot of good eff- effects throughout um humanity. So even though he is considered unredeemable, they should try to um, um redeem him next Christmas. And it's about their effort going to redeem him. So they know they're doing a Christmas carol. Um, if that so far sounds appealing to you, like if it sounds, it's also a musical, by the way, and the d- dance and song numbers are good. If that so far sounds appealing to you, you should go watch it. Skip ahead to when we talk about Glass Onion, because I'm going to tell you more about it, which makes this really good. So... This is very knowing and a few more layer more thoughtful than this because the big reveal about one third through the movie is um, Ghost of Christmas Present, Will Ferrell's character, is the original Scrooge. Oh, okay. So um, Charles Dickens' story was based on him. Like Charles Dickens wrote that story based on his life. Right. And um, the the big reveal is after he became uh, he got he was changed by the the three ghosts that visiting him. He was alive for like three more weeks and then he died. <laughs> <laughs> um, and when he became a ghost, he started working for this network. And then he started uh, when there was an opening, he became the Ghost of Christmas Present. Uh, because he wants to do for other people what what happened to him. But the thing is, he's been there long enough that um, once you've been there long enough, they offer a retirement package, which is essentially a type of reincarnation. Like, you get to live out the rest of your life as a 
um, human. Like you don't you don't start over as a kid uh, as a baby, but like you you just go back to earth. You just become human again, really. But his dilemma is he doesn't know. Like he, he's he's super worried that people can't change. He's super worried right. that if he leaves this job, become human again, he'll just become Ebenezer, Ebenezer Scrooge again. And he really wanted. Like he was the only other unredeemable that went through the program and was changed. And he wants to really help Ryan Reynolds' character and change him. So to confirm himself to himself that people can change, unredeemables can change. And when he takes the retirement package, he wouldn't just revert to being Scrooge again. Okay. So like, so that's like there's like real emotional stakes in it, and it's a lot cleverer than it sounds. But like Apple TV has done a very poor job of advertising this. <laughs> Yeah, because they just want, you know, wacky, Ryan Reynolds, Will Ferrell. Look at this. And it is very wacky. It is very wacky. Like, there's an extended joke based on one line from Original Christmas Carol. You know the scene where, like, Tiny Tim, the first time, um, comes to Ebenezer Scrooge's door and um, uh, about, like, to bag him, uh, to, like, uh, reopen the, um, the factory and stuff. And he's like, He's essentially like tell the kids to fuck off, but like that scene's end with me being like "Good afternoon" and then closing the door. Right. Um, but they extended it a little bit and they make a joke that back in those days, "Good afternoon" is like essentially f- as bad as "fuck you." <laughs> <laughs> and then they do an extended dance number uh, about "good afternoon," which is the best song in the whole. Whole movie, okay. and then they keep coming back to that joke, call back over and over and over again, and it's very funny. And the ending, very unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> it does not end the way you think it would. <laughs> okay, and it has really high production values. Like I don't understand. Apple clearly spent a lot of money on this, except the marketing. <laughs> <laughs> the only ad I ever see are on Apple TV. I'm like, dude. Also, like, also advertise somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, I you think shouldn't... <laughs> just in general, not just for this, but Apple TV in general has a really terrible track record with their marketing. Yeah, yeah, they would like they would market it very hard on like any Apple things, but they they just don't advertise it elsewhere. I'm like, this should this should be like playing in cinemas, like the trailer, right? You know, I don't understand. It is really good. I watched it last night, and I was like, uh, oh, like I'll test out like 10 minutes of it if not i'll just watch glass audience again for tomorrow's podcast right and then i was hooked i was supposed to be like i was supposed to put it on the, in the background and clean up let's just say my bedroom <laughs> did not get clean last night <laughs> <laughs> um everybody go watch it it is very funny and i know some people like like my christmas uh, my chris pratt fatigue i some people have ryan reynolds fatigue I can't relate because I think Ryan Reynolds great. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't have that. <laughs> but um, in this, neither Will Ferrell or Ryan Reynolds is playing tight. Like they, they like you know, their personalities still come through. They still those actors, but um, especially Will Ferrell, he's not goofy until like the last twenty minute of the movie, and even then, there's a reason, and he never go like elf level crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, for a musical, like uh, it's. It's really funny because these really bigger than life, like super kooky uh, character actors, well, not character actors, super kooky actors, right. um, they toned them down for this musical, <laughs> which is <laughs> weird. <That's> weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, 
go watch it and then that good afternoon song will be stuck in your head all day like mine <laughs> and i can't sing it because without the context of the movie it make no sense <laughs> okay i'll check it out for sure yeah uh, this definitely is um number one uh bold the movie that is entering my christmas playlist from this year <laughs> <laughs> i regret not watching it when it was still christmas time <laughs> so now we're going to take a little break we spent probably way too long talking about those christmas movies <laughs> yeah, but now now we're gonna when we come back we're gonna spend too long talking about glass on yes to talk about ryan johnson's best work last jedi <laughs> you saw that joke coming before i said <laughs> i did i knew exactly where you were going <laughs> um no no we're talking we're gonna talk about his latest work glass onion and knife out story which is a stupid <laughs> name <laughs> i mean glass onions are fine name um uh, did you see the interview that says ryan johnson um ryan johnson said he hate <laughs> having to put a knife out story i think yeah it's just i don't even know like why they made him do it it's so dumb <laughs> <laughs> i think they i mean brand recognition is still such a big thing for these execs right they don't understand that in the modern um world especially things like glass onions it isn't it's it's not even coming out in cinema it's not aimed at like people who are wanting to cinema like what should i watch um you know like after yeah. a long day of shopping like it's not it's not to the it's not aimed at those low information audience it's aimed at people who are in the entertainment sphere actively hunting for things to watch actively looking to be entertained and is informed um you don't need to put a knife out story at the end people <laughs> understand it's the sequel to knife out they'll find out social media will make it so <laughs> uh, but yeah look they're insecure um at the very least like people are just calling it uh, at the very least they didn't make him call it like knife out colon knife right, back yeah, in or something a... like that. <laughs> Knives, knives out, out knives out apocalypse <laughs> <laughs> um uh, <laughs> two knives two out <laughs> uh knives out green island drift uh, you can do a whole thing <laughs> uh back in the habit <laughs> resurrection electric boogaloo <laughs> <laughs> um okay so um up top what what do you think of it I liked it. Um, I thought it was really funny. Um, and I, uh, I don't know if I, 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 I don't like comparing it to Knives Out, but you kind of mm -hmm. have to, mm -hmm. and yeah. it's not as good as Knives Out, but it's still like, I really, really enjoyed it. And it's really funny. And I will definitely watch it again and again and again. So I think as a whodunit, I like this more. Really? Um, I find Knives Out funnier. Yeah. Okay. Like there's no, like uh, they, I, I laughed 
multiple times in this movie, but there is no moment as hilarious as I had to pause and laugh because I didn't want to miss the rest of the <laughs> explanation when Ben Blatt yell, what did the Nazi child over here when he was <laughs> masturbating in the bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> But I was just like, hold on, I need a better movie. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, but it, it's still funny. Like, <laughs> it's so dumb. It's it, it's clever. No, it's just, it's just dumb. dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Let's try to sum up the uh, the thesis of the movie. <laughs> Um, so, so you still like the original Knives Out better? I think so. Um, maybe it's just because of Anna de Armas. Like, I think, uh, the original Knives Out is a bit more of a deconstruction of who's done it. Uh, because, uh, like, the mystery isn't really who done it, right? Not, neither it is really in this. Yeah, but... we don't even know done what until, like, yeah, exactly, movie, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I, I feel like this one is more, play with the building block of the genre uh, without really deconstructing it more. Um, and I I think the first one has a better cast, but um, this one has better characters. I can see that. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Like, like the characters in Knives Out are very one-dimensional. Um, yeah, yeah. Whereas in this one, you get a sense that they're, I mean, they're still cartoonish, but you mm. get a sense there's more to them than just yeah. single-minded motivation. Right. I think it's also because the characters in this one are also distract, distressed a little bit, right? Like sure. they're shallow, but they also like they also tied to my like they also hitch their wagon <laughs> to miles, and they all distressed. So that that gives them a little bit more of um of three dimensionality to them. In, but in the first one, everybody was just obsessed with getting this dude's money, right? right yeah. they, <laughs> <laughs> like they, they're not distressed about anything other than their money. What, what these people, they distress relate to money, but it's, it's really more about like the wild horse they hitched their wagon to. <laughs> um, so you, you said um, in relation to Knives Out, right? This movie do it does a lot of twine with your expectations from Knives Out. What do you like? What's your take on that? What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, like this movie expects you to have seen Knives Out. It gives you little red herrings to to like mimic the formula of Knives Out, but mm. in that Ryan Johnson way to subvert what you expect. Mm. Like uh, early on, um, Benoit Blanc, you know, Daniel Craig goes to Miles and says and and get, gets the reveal that he wasn't invited um yeah. and that's exactly what happened in knives out he even references that he says something like um i don't remember exactly um, what he says but he says something along the lines yeah. of i've learned the hard way not to trust invitations from nowhere <laughs> um yeah, yeah. so you, you kind of buy that and you don't really question it too much i mean i did hmm. but like the reveal that he the, yeah, the later reveal of how he got to the party makes a lot more sense, but it's it's a subversion of what you expect from Knives Out. Um, yes. And there's a couple other examples that I thought of earlier, but I can't think of them off the top of my head now. So <laughs> I'll come to you as we talk about yeah. it. Um, but yeah, no, it's definitely is. And uh, we're going to have to talk about a lot about like understanding genre stroke, subversion of genre stroke. 
and deconstruction of gender tropes um, a lot in this um, talking about this movie and that's the Ryan fine Johnson's line, game, yeah, yes, <laughs> and the fine line between them and how you play with them. I like deconstruction of genres, but I also feel very conflicted about it because this might be personal, and I don't know if you notice this or not, but especially in the in the realm of criticism, uh, you know how people can be snobby oh, about totally. like about um genres especially genre movies and if you ask uh, people like hey oh what's your like w- this is my pet beef if you ask somebody especially if you're like having a um nice talk with somebody about a genre you both enjoy and if you ask somebody what's your favorite genre and if they give me the if the answer they give me is a deconstruction of the genre <laughs> I, it like like i know it's not fair but that person's stock falls like three levels in my eyes because I'm like no like don't don't do that like don't like that's it that's it I'm clever answer right like they are they are genres in which my favorite work in that genre is a deconstruction but I I wouldn't name that as my favorite in that genre because I know that's a deconstruction and I know I only love it because I've come to understand the building blocks of the genre and and this this movie understand it like the way I like the way I enjoy it. Right. But to to elevate that as my favorite of that genre, I feel like that's like that's a little bit of like like a little bit of like a Jersey swap situation. It's like, <laughs> aren't I great? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like I understand it. I mean, no, like like just say the say the thing of that genre that you enjoy. So like I do have that level of like um love hate relationship with deconstruction. Like like the big example would be like if somebody said they love horror and and horror is not even like my genre. Like I I routinely admit that I don't understand. I don't watch enough horror to understand in and out. If they say Kevin in the Woods, I love Kevin in the Woods, <laughs> but I'm like, no, come on, like you're just saying like you're clever. Right. <laughs> like, it's not even really a horror movie. It's no longer scary because it's a deconstruction of the horror genre. <laughs> um, so, did you follow me on that rant? Like, you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so, uh, with Ryan Johnson, especially, like. The reason I love him as a director is like he skirts so fine the line between a love letter, a love letter to a genre, and undermining and deconstructing the genre in a way that like you, you it almost feels like you're exposing the weakness in it, and which Kevin in the Woods kind of is that right? It also like directly even make fun of the audience of the horror genre, um. And but with what Ryan Johnson is doing with both Knives Out and Glass Onion, you never felt like they making fun of the detective um, and whodunit genre or the people who enjoy those genres. Yeah, I mean, do you follow me on this? Not, yeah, yeah it's not. It's like what we were talking about earlier. It's not mean spirited. It's not making fun of the genre. It's actually yeah. having fun with the genre instead. Yes. Yes, that is a great way of putting it. And like, and he clearly loves it, right? He's oh, yeah. not here to say that he he can elevate the genre, which, um, look, turned out Joss Whedon also wrote some of uh, <laughs> Kevin in the Woods. So maybe some of the dickishness that comes through it is just <laughs> Joss Whedon. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he like he's not here to be like, hey, I 
uh, I'm so clever that I understand the genre. Actually, like I talked to a friend uh, that I respect a lot recently, uh, and he he didn't like Knives Out at all because he feel like oh that movie thing is so clever. Then like I can I can understand how that vibe can come across at some point, right? Yeah. Uh, but I think like I'm really trying to talk uh, this guy into watching it again because I I, I think if you really watch it. Um, uh, closely and like uh, you keep an open mind like I feel I feel like you can see that Ryan Johnson is just playing with the tropes and not really being like I'm better than the trope you know <laughs> oh yeah and he's been doing that his whole career I mean the first movie I saw from Ryan Johnson was um, uh, Brick Brick right yeah yeah, yeah. Which I think playing around with film noir it doesn't yeah. take it's it's not a comedy like this is but it's still yeah. playing with the genre in a in a not mean-spirited way it's not making fun yeah. of film noir yes yeah. and like with uh, with every movie he gets better and better at it right i agree like yeah. um uh, even with even with last jedi like i understand how some people think ryan johnson think he's better than star wars like because i uh, um like he he does it and that movie is that's not what it's doing but i think he wasn't as good as he is now about like um like playing with the weaknesses in the especially because Star Wars is established universe, right? Exposing the building block of and rearranging it and showing us the other side of it um without feeling like he's calling to the people who enjoyed the original way it was stupid. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really difficult to deconstruct something without coming across as pretentious. And that's, mm. I think, what Ryan Johnson has been working on his whole career. Mm. Mm. And also, um, another one I was talking about, Peppy, is about don't name your, don't name deconstruction as your your favorite thing. If you ever fucking say Watchmen is your favorite graphic <laughs> novels, get the fuck out of my room. Get get out. Like I love Watchmen, but leave. <laughs> <laughs> Just go. <laughs> We're done. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> uh. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I I hold such strong, <laughs> <laughs> uh, weird opinions and bad peas. Okay, so let's just talk about the mystery as a whole first. Like the the, the whole who done it thing. What do you think about the the delivery of the mystery and everything? Well, I mean, like going into it because you know this is a Ryan Johnson movie, and you know that it's like knives out you know that what it presents itself as isn't going to be what it is like you like you're given this idea that you're going to this island and um the main character or not the main character but you know miles is going to die and there's going to be like a murder mystery about it yeah that's the expectation yes you expect clue basically yes Um, yes and yeah and they they mention clue the game multiple times and um ryan like you said like playing with expectations ryan Ryan Johnson already know people have certain expectations after watching Knives Out, and he plays he he plays into it by like the first act of the movie, you are expecting a twist, and the movie is knowingly uh, showing you that they, it, like something's off, like something's right. not quite right. Like nobody's dead, uh, he wasn't invited, <laughs> and why is he acting so weird? Right? You know, there's odd things happening, and you just can't quite put your finger on what what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The movie is making it very clear that um, that you don't have all the informations, um, which is 
which is like oh, we already know that that's the staple of the genre but the, the movie is like repeatedly making you feel that like confusion which really confound people like Ben Shapiro I'll get to that later <laughs> but not not counting Ben Shapiro I can understand <laughs> it if you go into this and you and you don't like it because that first act doesn't have an anchor like there's you're not really given a character point of view like you're mm. ostensibly from Benoit's point of view mm. but you don't have all the information he has until halfway through the movie um and I can see how that might rub some people the wrong way I'm fine with it because I like the puzzle. I like the mystery of it. I like having to figure it out. But I can see how that might unnerve audiences. Even starting from Benoit Blanc's perspective is jarring itself, right? Because the first movie is not from Benoit's perspective. Right. Um, it's from the 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 nurse perspective. I forgot her name now, um, which probably also make me as terrible as people in Knives. <laughs> <laughs> her um, name is Anna de Armas. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I love her. I will marry her. <laughs> <laughs> I after I finished Nights Out, actually, I thought in the sequel, Anna de Armas character will uh, become his assistant <laughs> uh, because, like, she has that thing about like uh, she's literally allergic to lies. <laughs> <laughs> you can just keep her around, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's about her own lies. So to be fair, um, what I was saying is like even Benoit Blanc's being the central. Um, main character for the first act is quite jarring and he's talking a lot he talked like four five times more than in the first act of this movie than he did in the entire knives out movie right yeah true and that is something jarring and you you find out later that he was acting and putting it on to try to get information out of people but when i first watched the movie i was like did he kind of subtly rewrite uh, Benoit Blanc? Or uh, so. are we just... Yeah, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Because uh, so I'm like, something's off. Like, Benoit's being weird. And I'm just like, is it just because he's just talking more now? Uh, you know? <laughs> like, that kind of unease. Uh, then, of course, the when the denouement thing happens and it flips back to the beginning, then everything's in together. Because, oh, okay, it's not supposed to be from Benoit Blanc's point of view. Right. It's actually supposed to be from Helen Brand's point of view. It's just she's been undercover the whole time, so <laughs> we didn't get it. Um, and um, I don't know if you've seen or not, the, uh, Ryan Johnson breaks down the scene where um, everybody arrives at the pier um uh, on you know like she does you know how they do like youtube to yeah i know, the, I know the, the, the style yeah. of youtube but yeah i haven't yeah. actually seen this one it it's really good like and uh and you um, it really nailed the fact that um the movie is starting from Benoit's perspective because uh he says like every time they cut back to somebody else arriving like the camera is positioned as if like is from Benoit Blanc. From Benoit's island, looking yeah, at them. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, uh, um, and when you cut to Benoit Blanc, he's alone on his side of the frame, framed against the sea. Um, and then when you cut back, um, they, the the platforms that they all on look like a stage, and everybody is arriving stage left, stage right, stage left, stage right. 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 And Benoit Blanc is like the the uh, audience proxy from the camera's perspective. I thought that was. All the shots here are beautiful. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, you know how definitely. sometimes 
you know how sometimes it's like um uh, like uh, like this director is actually a really good writer uh writer but like they need like uh, somebody who's help helping them out with the shots and then like this director is a great visual director they need somebody who's helping out with the writing uh, <laughs> a few directors are very good at both and ryan johnson is just he should be a lot more famous than he is <laughs> <laughs> Um, and also, uh, speaking of expectation and subverting them, um, another one is there's no murder, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, not not for a long time in the movie is there a murder. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which um, which is has been done in whodunit genre before. Like, uh, none of this is things that are done. In, like, none of them is like, oh, it's, it's a lot of uh, left field. Things. Yeah, there's this nothing just, unique in this. Yeah, yeah. They all just combined in a bit like it's it's like a good skew. It's just yeah. <laughs> it's just all the ingredients are just satisfyingly com- satisfyingly combined. Um, but that's also um m- not murder on order. Death on the Niles, right? Death on the Niles. The death doesn't happen until more than halfway through the story, right? right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and we thought that's where it was heading as well. Like like just like on the Death on the Niles, where they were like, oh, there's a threat on his life. Right, uh, on um, somebody's life, and here, like we, Daniel Craig's character lied to us, Ben Oblak lied to us and Miles, and saying there might be a threat on you. Right, you know. <laughs> uh, so that's that's the expectations we're left with, and then even when somebody dies in the thing, we're like, okay, now somebody's dead. We have to solve it. Like first of all, we didn't have to solve it. Like when you go back and watch it, the movie show clearly who killed him. Like, yeah, there it's, is not, no, it's not hard. Yeah, <laughs> there's no trickery of cinema. There's no trickery of like narrative. Like, there's no deliberately showing you the wrong thing, which bad whodunits does that all the time, right? Don't you hate? This is my pet peeve. When you flash back to a thing that didn't happen, and later they like that's not actually how it happened. I'm like, well, you you just you just showed us the lie. <laughs> like, that's not <laughs> narrative trickery. You just you showed us a scene. That didn't happen. <laughs> well, I mean, they kind they of do, do that. that here. They kind of do that here. Like they do show when? like him putting the drink down and then him picking it up. Um, he's like they're showing bad memories. They're showing like people remembering the event wrong. But like no, no, I... no, no. They hand in that scene. He hand the drink. To oh, me. I know he like, does the in the actual time, scene. But like drinker. right after that, when they're when they're going oh, over. Oh yeah, again. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. but that's just. But that's just him talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. just him talking. Like, but he he had his voice over. So, like, we know when somebody is voicing over something, and like that, that could be a lie, right? Right. Like, and they and they do prepare us for that because when Benoit Blanc is uh, uh, talking with a voiceover um, uh, about uh, who killed, who who could have poisoned Andy, uh, Andy Cassandra, yeah. like. Uh, it, it shifts between multiple people, right? Because he doesn't know who it is. Yeah, no, I, I like I, I hate the trope when it's when there's not it's not somebody recounting something. One is just supposed to be like uh, eye of God flashback, and it's a lie. When somebody's recounting something, yeah, show us whatever you want because that like that person could be lying. Like I, I understand care. the distinction. Yeah, yeah I get yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and. Here, it doesn't do that. Like before the recount, before um, the flashback of what um, Miles was saying, if you watch the scene closely, 
he hands him the drink in that yeah, scene. Totally. Like, <laughs> you see it? like it literally happened right in front of you. And then uh, we're like, okay, so let's solve it. If you missed it, you're like, uh, and I did, I did miss it the first time uh, because you're not looking out for it, right? No, <laughs> like you're not really thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah. Because obviously um, you don't even expect him to be the one who's going to die, right? Yes. Yes, exactly. And um, and then you're like, okay, this needs solving. And then it turns out, no, the real murder that is actually being investigated happened before the movie begun. Right. And that's the subversion that I like. What What did you think of that? Like, what did you think of the the way they delivered that? Because it, it is a little bit, it can be a little bit jarring. I mean, it's it's definitely getting you on the wrong foot but i like that like i appreciate that i like to, i like to be toyed with <laughs> so um doesn't bother me <laughs> <laughs> um yeah um turned out the the real challenge and evolution of the third act structure is doing the second act twice not like doing the third act twice like a lot of the blockbuster especially michael bay has been seen to be doing lately <laughs> Uh, if you ever feel like, oh, the mo- didn't the movie end? Why is there another 30 minute of it? That's because somebody did the third act twice. And they've been doing a lot of it lately. <laughs> Even uh, Marvel can, movies sometimes. <laughs> you can uh, you can blame Ridley Scott for that. He, uh, he, yeah. he pioneered the whole introduce a fourth act to a horror movie yeah. and like Alien and stuff. And people have been copying yeah. it and not really doing it the right way. They're just repeating the third act. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or in Michael Bay's uh, essentially just making another movie, a sequel to the first movie in like 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> just taking his toys and knocking them against each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so the the planned murder mystery party, that's also another subversion, right? Because you thought like, as he, they tried to do the planned murder mystery thing, I, you thought the structure of the thing is supposed to be like, we're co- supposed to figure out who, like, which one of it is real things that are happening with real malice, which one of it is part of the game. But no, Van uh, Blanc immediately solved the mystery. <laughs> what do you think about that? Well, again, like, you know, I, I keyed into it very early on that they're taking, that Ryan's basically taking the formula of Clue and playing with that. And that is Clue. Like, the guy invites them to his house, and then he dies. Like, he knows he's going to be murdered. Somebody here is going to murder him. And everybody's got a motive. That's that's Clue. That's the whole point yeah. of Clue. Um, yeah. And then when Benoit Blanc just gets up and basically, like, a superhero just figures it out, like, doom, 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 yeah. doom. Um, I loved it. I thought it was great. I really, like, I especially love how it's highlighted by the actual shot going off. And it's, like, landing on Edward Norton and that look on his face of just total seething in anger and the blood spurting out of him like the fake blood it's just that that was beautiful it doesn't land on him it flip out of his jacket all right it flips out of his jacket yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so silly i loved it i loved it i really did yeah and like that's that's the first clue we have that he's a dick right well, like yeah. and and that he's not interested in clever puzzles like a person who's actually interested in puzzles and solving a puzzle would have been overjoyed would have by been what delighted. just happened there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would have been delighted and like just be so glad that Benoit Blanc was there and about his ability, about how he's able to do it. Like the rest of the dinner would be like she just him trying to get in details out of how Benoit Blanc did it. Right. But no, his interest is 
looking clever in front of his friends, looking yeah, like the, the smartest look. man in the house. Yeah, yeah. And and at that very moment, he also revealed that why, like, he's he's un, unjustly tried to like make himself look clever because he didn't write it. He he straight up mentioned he called <laughs> somebody else to write it. He <laughs> um, trained under Ricky J, who was originally going to be in Knives Out, but he died right before they started filming. Yeah, yeah. Um, just a shame. <laughs> and also, like, um, you mentioned Clue, but most of this movie is also Clue happening in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Everything Helen is doing is Clue, both the movie and the game. <laughs> So it's a classic screenwriting trick to have like a character just announce what's going to happen. And Benoit Blanc at one point says, I don't like Clue because it's just ticking off boxes and blah, 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 yeah. blah. And that's exactly what she does. She goes from room to room and ticks off boxes. And Yeah, she literally has, she a, literally she, does she has a Clue pad, like yeah. the, the pad from Clue. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was very funny. And very like, well done. And then if they like, that's lampshading, but lampshading can sometimes be bad if like, once again, I don't want to keep banging on Michael Bay, but <laughs> <laughs> at the beginning of one of the Transformer movies, they were in a cinema and then they were like, oh, all the movies these days are just sequel and remakes and like based on established property. Like they all so bad. I'm like, you don't get to say that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you don't get to say that to people who already pay money to watch your trans- fourth Transformer movie. <laughs> and if this is like, oh, um, Clue is stupid and the rest of the movie is actually clue it would have been bad right but it's the clue bits they blah blah over it over like 15 minutes (laughs) it's the mechanism in which the mystery is further deepened (laughs) um right if anything the movie itself is like a defensive clue instead of lampshading to put down like something i don't i don't know exactly what i mean by that but like uh, they use Clue in this movie. Like he talks down to Clue for doing all these things, and then of course that's what leads to the solution of the mystery in the end. Yeah. Oh, um, to be fair, the the Clue he talks down to is not the movie; it's the game. No, it's the game. I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh... <laughs> so the story being told twice. <laughs> well, I mean, like like they did that with Knives Out, so I kind of knew that was going to happen at some point. Um, but the way they did it, like this one is, it's more extensive, way more extensive. There's a lot more of it. Um, yeah. and I think recontextualizing events actually really works to its benefit. There's a couple of times where they get a little too cute with it. Um, mm. but you know, that's just minor nitpick. I, Ryan, Ryan Johnson sometimes get too cute with, with yeah, it. Yeah, sure. I, I, I'm definitely on board the Ryan Johnson train because so I never, my money get too cute. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> that brings us to did you? Well, I know you did because I just sent you the thread. Um, <laughs> ben Shapiro's meltdown over Jesus this. Movie. Christ. <laughs> you gotta uh, get off Twitter, you, man. <laughs> why? It's so entertaining. <laughs> just be glad that I'm there to curate stuff and bring you the best <laughs> bit so you don't actually have to sit through the rest of Twitter. And so, wait, you want me to thank you for giving me Ben Shapiro tweets? Yes. <laughs> I would. <laughs> is that where this is going, really? <laughs> um, if, if you can stomach, uh, if, if you get angry instead of um, laugh when <laughs> stupid people get, like, 
Miles Brown, when stupid people really think they're smart, <laughs> uh, don't go and read it. But if you can laugh at it, go and read Ben Shapiro's meltdown over this movie, where he's like, this movie is a lie. It just tricks you. And I'm like, is this, this, is this the first movie you ever seen? <laughs> <laughs> Man's never seen a mystery before. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, I, it just remind me of that tweet that says, like, man who've only ever seen Boss Baby watching a second movie. This movie <laughs> is giving me Boss Baby vibes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then he just have a meltdown. It's like, the first half of this movie, the first half of this movie is complete lasts. I'm like, well, that's not true. It's <laughs> withholding of information for mystery is not a lie. And the reason I even talk about it, want to bring this, about this tweet at all is that like this movie never lies to you. Like, um, not like perspective and cutting away uh, before certain information, sure, but they never lie to you. And if you if you watch average or shitty whodunit movie, they will straight up lie to you. And so when I say this movie straight up doesn't lie to you, it's a multiple level. Things they flash back to say uh, and say happens, happen the first time around, either in the background or uh, you just don't have the, the context to realize what's happening. Like, um, for example, when they cut to Helen as Andy introducing himself to Ben Blanc, introducing herself to Ben Blanc, you realize that's not, the movie line to you it's because they're still within the earshot of the group right. so they they have to introduce themselves to each other they do so they can talk later yeah, they're and sort of lying to other characters but they're not lying to yes. you the audience like that they're is not, actually yeah, what's exactly. happening yeah <laughs> exactly exactly um and exactly and like if that scene was in isolation that would be a lie that would be a that would be an example of a bad who done it right right like a scene that is there to trick us and have no no actual in world plot context to be structured like that but as they wait and the group move further away once she say you have a flat tire and she <laughs> pull she, uh, he tie his thing and she like we flash back to it later and we realize that's when they know that the rest of the group has moved far enough away so she leans in and they do the more scheming right yeah <laughs> and yeah. It, the movie is is the fact that it's not lying to you is is evidenced by like if you stop the movie at the point where helen gets shot like mm. you've just heard the name helen for the first time and she got shot you, yeah, stop the you movie don't notice there, it yeah I noticed it. I was like, who the fuck is Helen? (laughs) But if you stop the movie there and you watch it again um, and you like take notes and you really like work it out, I feel like you could figure most of it out. Um, And if the movie were lying to you, that's not true. You just never would be able to figure it out. Yeah, I'm not saying you'd like, be able to figure out everything. There's still a lot of information you don't have, but I think at that yeah, point, yeah. like you for have example, like he shares a twin. <laughs> enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like the movie, like I said, the movie always have put you under the feeling that something's wrong. Like you don't have all the information. The movie repeatedly is telling you that you don't have all the information. Something's yeah, characters wrong, even say wrong. it out loud. Like at one point, Catherine yeah. Hahn even says it. There's something wrong here. Something's not right. Yeah, she literally just says she's an entirely different person. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, which is another like, which is another good um, thing because when we have the context of one of these guys could be a murderer, um, that that take on another sinister tone. Like, oh, does Catherine Hand's characters know? Because is she the murderer? Right. Um, uh, I think Catherine Hand's character is the 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 biggest like 
on top of the red herring list. Yeah, she is definitely the good. biggest red herring. She's the one you want to you want to believe is the is the killer. Yeah, they do it with. She's a completely different person. Um, they do it with um, the the references to the the secret whispers that Ha and Lewis is always talk, um, talking about. At right. first, they make you think it might be an affair. Second, they make you think it might be a conspiracy to murder. Right. And then third, they reveal that it's just like they're just so deep in Mao's pocket with this <laughs> hydrogen thing. They're just like freaking out, shitting bricks. <laughs> <laughs> and Another thing, another reason this thing doesn't lie to you is like red herrings in a lot of whodunits are lies. Like <laughs> the the scenes uh, that uh, that later you realize are red herrings. Often, when you look at it, it's like, well, there's no reason for that scene to be like that, or there's right. no reason for that character to be acting that way. The way they do red herring in this is when you watch back, you're like, oh, I was just being paranoid because. Catherine Hahn's character bump into um, uh, Duke uh, at some point, right. and I'm like, he took. She took the gun. Then she <laughs> took the gun. Like even before the gun went away, because like they drew such attention to the gun repeatedly. I'm like, that gun is going to be. Like, it's going to be missing. You know, it's going to be yeah, missing. Yeah. yeah. So when she bumped into him, I was like, she took the gun, right? And then there's also a scene right after the poisoning where they like all the characters are separately going down the hallways um there's a scene where Catherine Hahn turns around and the music literally go dun dun <laughs> and behind her is a painting of somebody with like lightning like a woman with lightning shooting out of her eyes and yeah, as I'm... she move out of the frame it revealed that she's holding like a bottle and un un like opening a bottle right so I'm like oh visually this is telling us she might be the poisoner and I'm like <laughs> Okay, this is too obvious. Like, clearly it's not hard now, right? <laughs> <laughs> so that's the kind of red herring this movie does. And also, we were discussing this before. Like, when we flash back and find out that Andy threw that um, recorder into... Um, into the, in the purse, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can see you can see it go in the first time around. You can see, like if you watch the scene, you can see the the recorder get thrown in, and you, and you can see the shadow of Andy walking past. <laughs> right, yeah. If you're like paying attention, it's there. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of that um, in this movie. Like I, I I haven't seen it twice, but I imagine if you do watch it twice, there's a lot of stuff like that. Yeah, this is a movie that you definitely should watch like a few times, and like every time you watch it, you, you're just gonna like sorry. I said, and I will. I got to make other people watch it now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And every time you watch it, you're going to find out more about it. Right. Um, but yeah, look, I'm not going to read the rest of Ben Shapiro's tweet. Like he clearly have trouble with the politics of this movie as well, which he would, because like, this is not written for the Ben, ben Shapiro's of the world. Ben Shapiro has the pro has problems with the politics of everybody who isn't Ben Shapiro. <laughs> yeah. And I was just telling, I was just telling Eric before the pod that, um, if you just limit yourself to watching things Ben Shapiro hate for a whole year, you could probably get a lot of good entertainment for that year. Like, you, <laughs> you, like if you watch nothing else but things Ben Shapiro hate, you could probably watch really a lot of really good entertainment. <laughs> I like that point so much. I made him put it in. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, before. Speaking of politics, before we break down the characters, let's talk about the politics in general. Because Ben um, because Ryan Johnson uh is left. That's why Ben Shapiro later. 
hate him. <laughs> um, and he never, a lot of people look to the left him. of Ben Shapiro. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, to be fair, Ryan Johnson is pretty left. Like he's he's yeah. like he 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 dislike the one percenter um you know and like he's he's not left as as left can be but as far as american politics go he's pretty left um i would say he's uh, like average hollywood left yeah you think yeah. i think average average hollywood left doesn't really hate one percenters as much as he does <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Maybe you're right. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, the uh, the theme of the last two movies he's made is rich people are stupid. <laughs> well, yeah, he's just making a lot of bang off of making fun of rich people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, yes, he is. Um, oh, look, and and Ben Shapiro also pointed this out that uh, Ryan Johnson is rich, but Ryan Johnson is not rich like the people he's no, he's not uber rich. rich. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Like and he's like he's working like he's he's actually putting a creative output. And he's I not think Elon Musk. The rich people that he makes fun of in both this and Knives Out are people who haven't really earned it. Like you can't say Ryan Johnson didn't earn it. Mm. Oh yeah, exactly. Look at the budget of Rick, and then look at yeah. the budget. He of worked Luke's his way up, look, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> actually, um, there's a local band i really like called ballpark music and they have a song called rich people are stupid <laughs> and i'm like how can i tweet at ryan johnson to convince him to use that song in this <laughs> <movie>? <laughs> <laughs> or, or how can i convince um the band to make a music video with a ryan footage of ryan johnson movies <laughs> <laughs> but what i want to ask you is as somebody who's probably uh, uh, you know a bit more even-handed about political <laughs> messages than I am. A bit more sitting in the cheap seat um, <laughs> of this movie message, right? I know what I am. I admit it. What do you think? Do you think he goes overboard? Do you think? Do you think it's fine? I think it's fine. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, um, I just think that that's not supposed to be like a call out to you. I just think you would be fairer at assessing this kind of message than I am because no, I, I know am in the cheap seats to this. <laughs> I know for you, calling me a centrist would be an insult, but I'm kind of taking it as a compliment the way you said I'd be more fair and even handed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not the kind of, we don't need to get into it right now. That's not the kind of centrist. I know. Um, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm a fence sitter, about, damn it. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm talking about fence sitters and I'm talking about people who think, Fence sitting is clever when the points are like an argument between a Nazi and somebody who's like, let's say, let 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 us make it so there are no Nazis. <laughs> I know there are very fine people on both sides. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that's the kind of. <laughs> no, I think it's fine. Like, um, if you can't make fun of ridiculous rich people, who can you make fun of anymore? You know? Yeah, <laughs> they and are ridiculous. Mind, like people are like, ridiculous. You, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And Ryan Johnson wrote this movie in 2020 during the pandemic. He was already well into shooting by the time Elon Musk has started really melting. Down. <laughs> like, look, there was always clues. Remember when he called the 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 guy the hero that helped rescue those child children a pedophile? <laughs> that was like 2019. Yeah. So there was always clue that he was a nutcase. Elon Musk uh, has always been completely insane. Um yeah. But but like the last couple of months, um, the way he broke down, it, it, like you might you might as well think that 
uh, that is advertising for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not just... sure if Ryan Johnson like deliberately made uh, a parody of Elon Musk in Edward Norton's character, um, but he sure did. Like whether he did it intentionally or not, he definitely yeah. nailed it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> even yeah. his like warped understanding of disruptive innovation theory is so it's so Elon Musk. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and the way he like stole everything from everybody else right well that's every wealthy person right <laughs> right right exactly right well, and, and, the, and the reason there is still plausible deniability that this is not just elon musk is like uh, they are like this is not new like this is mark zuckerberg right <laughs> like taking somebody <laughs> else hard work and then trying to put your name on it this is this is a lot of rich people <laughs> like even the rich people you like <laughs> Like a lot of super um, generationally rich people who started with money, this is their road to success. Absolutely. And I know in this in this story, that's not what Mao's character is, but um, they don't like they they don't make a too fine a point to it. Um, but in the flashback, you can clearly tell his only skill is charisma. Like he, the, the only thing he can do is talk people into and out of things, and every like he helped the group succeed right yeah. but at no point did he help them become better at what they do they he just introduced them to the right people like buddy j booked a um a fashion thing um he helped buddy j book a fashion thing but she's the one who's doing it and um juke even though he's an awful <laughs> man's right <laughs> activist he's the one who's clearly doing like he's he's the one who's clearly putting in that hard work it's not it's miles just in, like introduced them to the right people like he's uh he's a power broker by way of charisma who got his in his head too much about him being smart but the thing is you can build a successful persona and ego and personal satisfaction of being a power broker who's charismatic, but it's not enough for him. He need to people to think he's smart. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's a he's a classic narcissist, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, sorry, what and that's why about? the casting of Edward Norton is just perfect because Edward Norton is also a narcissist. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, so let's just start talking about Edward Norton's character, Miles' character. Um, <laughs> other clues that he's a narcissist and a lot of visual jokes in that giant museum thing he has. <laughs> um, the shirtless um, portrait. Oh my of God, his. that portrait. <laughs> That's Brad Pitt's body from Fight Club with Edward Norton's face painted beautiful. on it. Beautiful. I love that. Yeah. It's just a great in joke, right? <laughs> it's. Um, because like this this guy is still the Edward Norton's character in Fight Club. Yeah, right? it's Tyler Durden, yeah. <laughs> he's still that dumbass. Um and also it has a mural uh, he has a mural of Kanye West in that room. Did you notice that? <laughs> I did notice well, that. Once again, like Ryan Johnson being painfully prophetic. Oh, this was before, ahead of the curve, yeah. Yeah, this was before Kanye West. Completely went. Uh, I like Hitler. Actually. No, no. <laughs> like, no, you you really don't mean that. No, no, no. I do. I, I like that. <laughs> when Joe Rogan is trying to get you to back down from your stupid statement, it wasn't Joe Rogan. It was freaking Alex Jones. 
<laughs> Holy shit, that's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. God damn it. When Alex Jones is the sane man in the conversation, you've got problems. <laughs> Alex Jones just doesn't want to get sued again. <laughs> he no longer have enough money. <laughs> well, he, he never did. No. <laughs> and anyway, his um, name is Yi now, right? Kanye West. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's apparently missing right now. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, like, I think he's just hiding out from um court summons. Um, <laughs> uh, and um, what are the other dumb things that I noticed in this? Oh, oh, he he has a um he has a Dada is painting that he's hung upside down. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice that until it was pointed out by new rock stars. But yeah. <laughs> That was pretty funny. Um, and of course, like, uh, did you notice all the dumb shit he was saying before the flashback reveals it? A few of them. I didn't catch all of them. For, I mean, there's so many. But definitely the abbreviate is the is the big one that's really hard to miss. <laughs> um, but I think I noticed a couple more, but now I can't remember which ones because, you know, my memory got all jumbled from watching the movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and also another thing is like, why did he build a literal glass on you? Like, that's another <laughs> dumb thing, right? Because, like, the bar they used to meet is called the Glass Onion after the Beatles, Beatles song. song. Yeah. No, it has nothing, <laughs> has nothing to do with, with an actual onion. Glass Onion. Even the Beatles yeah. song isn't about an actual Glass Onion. <laughs> what, like, before they... <laughs> Before they flash back to it, I thought it was going to be like a like a hangout slash puzzle, like cool space that is that does look like the thing he built right. originally. It isn't. It was just a pub. <laughs> it's a bora. It doesn't understand metaphors. Uh, <laughs> Even when they're painfully explained to him over and over again. Yes. And of course, and uh, and this is another thing about Ben Shapiro's tweet where he's like, he's like, oh, the, the movie doesn't have a message. I'm like, the movie clearly talk about its central message multiple times <laughs> via the main character. So much so that like that's the visual metaphor. Like if you look into the glass at onion, who's in it? It's his office. Miles <laughs> is in the middle of the glass onion. Like that's the killer. <laughs> I would if I had a complaint, it would be that it was too much like beating you over the head with it. Like, yes. not that it wasn't yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. And like, that's also supposed to be Ben or Blank's character, right? Because um, because the viewer of um, Mysteries live for the Daniel Mont. Right. Uh, so Benoit Blank's character also live for the Daniel Mont. Like, um, all... Are the, all detectives uh, in these shows and movies do? They Ryan Johnson just make it plainly obvious that Benoit Blanc uh, does. Benoit Blanc loves the day he wants, and you know, like even in Eyes Up, the donut hole in the middle <laughs> of donuts hole. <laughs> <laughs> um, and okay, so let's talk about this. When we're talking about his fucking stupidity, let's. Uh, this is why you also have to rewatch the show. Let's talk about the puddle, puzzle box, right? <laughs> like, first of all, um, he didn't make it. Um, that's fair. Like, like I didn't expect him to cut uh, to make to physically make the box, but things that are clearly his suggestions to the puzzles, and they on rewatch they made it clear, very clear to us, um, from the get go that people are being in. People are being invested and impressed by the atmosphere and the crowd. They're solving it as a 
as a party that is that has already bought into the cleverness of the things, right? But right. if you separate the things, it's not clever, and they draw our attention to it multiple times. First of all, the mother has already like she's not even paying attention, and she's like, she, like when she delivered it, she already solved the first step, and she's not paying, even paying attention, and she's like yelling like it's a compass, it's the Fibonacci sequence. <laughs> You're not smart just because you know that. <laughs> <laughs> and one of them is literally a children's puzzle. It's a sliding puzzle. Yeah. And it's not even a big sliding puzzle. It's a four-by-four four sliding puzzle. I thought it was three-by-three. I, three. <laughs> I had bigger sliding puzzles when I was young. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally a children's toy. <laughs> and even the things that appear um, smart, like the chess game setup. And, yeah, the uh, fool's mate, yeah, like yeah. the stupidest move in all of chess. Like something yeah, that's like, very complicated and you make it so simple and so moronic. Like that's yeah. the solution. <laughs> but if it, in case people don't know, fool's mate is like um if like you can you can checkmate um in three moves from the beginning of the game if the opponent doesn't know about this. Right. And they're like, really, really stupid. Yeah, like, <laughs> they have to be really a, dumb to do this. <laughs> it's like an adult dunking on a kid at a like a at like a Christmas party chess game. Like, yeah. like it's it's a kind of trick, you know. Like, and like it's not like if you like the thing is, you can use that to convince somebody uh, that you're smart. If but they're not dumb; they just don't know chess, right? right <laughs> like yeah, they, they just don't know the rules yet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like. Um, and, and like and it's stupid in the sense that like if you already know the chess rule you have to be stupid to not realize uh, <laughs> what's happening right and um and you can see the way they buy into it because Catherine Hahn's character is like oh, a chess end game I'm like two pieces has moved that's not an end game <laughs> like <laughs> and you notice the person who actually solved it is Peg like right, actually yeah. does the chess move is yeah. like, like the, the person who isn't as amused and bought into the cleverness of Miles and they don't really draw attention to it but on the rewatch something I noticed at some point they started playing with the abacus you notice I know uh, I, it, yeah they were playing with an abacus it's all I got I don't know what they were doing uh, well uh, we don't really know what they're doing uh, but um, in case people don't know, Abacus is like an oriental counting device, most well known for ch used by Chinese, um, by the Chinese. That's <laughs> um, what made the Silk Road go around, right? <laughs> yeah. As the lid closes, you can see right beneath the <laughs> Abacus, one of the clue given was co Cognito Ergo Song. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I think, I, therefore I am. And clearly he's using the word sum as some sort of pun for this abacus puzzle. Right. But talking to Ergo sum, the sum in that doesn't mean sum. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a Latin verb, like... Um, that just says to do, like right. to do or to be. That's why Cogito Ergo sum is, I think, therefore, I am. Right. Like, the Latin for sun is sum is summers. Like <laughs> so, like once again, like this this man has no idea what like he's he's taking Latin and making puns without understanding what he's saying. <laughs> uh okay, so <laughs> you were talking about 
the disruptive innovation theory that he comes up with before and how stupid his take on it, right? <laughs> yeah, it's completely <laughs> misunderstanding the point of disruptive innovation theory, which I don't even fully understand, to be honest, but I know that that's not it. <laughs> like, even if you take him as his words, you know he's not it. Like he, yeah. that's uh, the people around him. Maybe like even the digs, uh, even people like Jukes and Birdie. Like m- yeah, he is. They are properly disruptive. He's not. And the way like the way disruptive innovation theory works is like sometimes things in the system are the way it is because people have agreed that the system should work the way they are. Like, uh, once people agree to a system for long enough, the system itself become more than, it appears more than itself. It appears deconstructible. It appears unbreakable. It appears to have no alternative. Right. That's that only is that that way because people have bought into it. And the real disruptive innovation theory is convincing people that the system is not more than it is. The system is not unbreakable. The system is not undisruptible. And showing people that by disrupting a part of it and making them buy into what your vision of what the system could be. And the perfect metaphor they show in this is the puzzle box. The puzzle box is a puzzle box because everybody involved in it had this unspoken agreement that that's, this is a puzzle box and you solve the puzzles to open it. And then the real disruptor come along, Helen Brand. She looked at it. Smashes it. She's not gonna play their game. (laughs) (laughs) She just she just took a hammer to it. (laughs) The thing as a container, a delivery system of the of the note is not more than what it appears to be. It is still a delivery system. It only appears to be grander than what it really is because everybody in this gang of shitheads bought into (laughs) what. What it symbolizes. She did it. So she hit it with a hammer and pulled out the, <laughs> <laughs> pulled out the invite. <laughs> I thought that was really good. I, I, also, I, I didn't catch that until the second viewing. I'm like, okay, which, as a visual metaphor, this really works. <laughs> <laughs> um, so speaking of the... No, she the and Benoit are the, are the actual disruptors in the, in the entire yes. movie. Like yes. they're the ones who come in and disrupt the whole plan, the whole, everything yes. that they have this tradition every year and that they're going to do this way and that, and they're the ones yeah. who disrupt it. Like they're yeah. the ones who, who wreck the system. Yeah. And their little thing is a little echo chamber, right? Like of course. the reason this gathering happened once a year is because once a year, um, uh, Miles can enforce how much on the leash he has them and he just gathered them to make him feel like he's the cleverest man in the room. To kiss the ring, basically, yeah. <laughs> yes, essentially. <laughs> essentially. This is the king um, uh, calling the, what do you call it? The the, the feudal lords <laughs> once oh, a yeah. year uh, <laughs> to pay, pay tr- homage, pay, pay tribute. Tribute, yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, let's talk about the disruptor, um, Helen Brand. Um, Janelle Monet, who of course played both Helen Brand and Cassandra Brand, nailed Fucking it. kills it, yeah. <laughs> um, um, by the way, um, one thing I want to draw attention is in mysteries, uh, if you want to know like who's important characters, pay attention to the names. Writers like Ryan Johnson can't help themselves but give important characters important names. Yeah, no writer can do that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
the futurist um, sister is named Cassandra. Cassandra, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the disruptor, is li- her name is literally Hellbrand. Helen yep. Brand. <laughs> <laughs> she is what she is. <laughs> um, Janelle Monet nailed it, huh? Yeah, she's really good. Um, I love that she's able to go from the rich bitch accent to the southern accent so like seamlessly like that's not easy to do um yeah and that that scene in the restaurant where like she she ordered a drink but she's too nice yeah (laughs) and then she slipped into the rich bitch persona and she has like multiple like you see multiple iterations of that rich bitch persona until she settles on the cassandra that she shows to everybody at the at the island um because at first she shows like the playful one that she had as a kid. And then she goes to see uh, Benoit at the restaurant and it's a little less refined and she's still going to work on it. And these are all like different. This is, this is all different acting. So that's really yeah impressive. Yeah. And they make it a point that when you flash back to it, um, Benoit is a much worse actor than she is. Oh yeah. <laughs> like not, not um Daniel Craig, but Ben Noir pretending the whole time for the first act when she he he's like seemed impressed with this goggle of gaggle of dumbasses. <laughs> I was like, what's happening? Especially when she he seemed impressed with the display of wealth. Right. right? <laughs> um he, he wasn't good at it, but they all bought into it because they want to. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Um, I also like that um, the the reason that we don't caught on immediately that it was Helen Brand that destroyed the box is that she has her hair up because she right. just came out of the shower. <laughs> <laughs> like um, the one thing I want to complain about though, that blonde wig is not good. Not really, no. <laughs> Especially because in the context of the movie, she's not wearing a wig. She's supposed to have gotten her hair cut and dyed. Like they make a specific quote about it. Benoit is like, I know a guy who will style your hair. Right. And then she shows up with a bad wig. <laughs> <laughs> um, anything else about Helen or Cassandra that you want to talk about? No, I can't think of anything. Like I will talk a little great. bit more about it when we talk about the end game, when we talk about the actual ending. Right. But um so Benoit Blanc, uh, we get a lot more about his character from the, in this. Um, what do you think? Like a lot of it, he's 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 a collection of tropes. But what do you think of him as a character? I think they actually toned him down a little bit. Like even like you were saying before, like in the beginning, he's at, he's playing a part. But even when he's not, he does seem a little slightly less flamboyant, and his accent is way better. Daniel Craig's been working on that accent. <laughs> I don't know, like. I feel like because he's got to carry so much of this movie on his shoulders that they made the character easier to stomach in large doses. Like if the character from Knives Out were transposed perfectly into this movie, this movie would have been almost unwatchable by the end because he's just so over the top. Um, Right. But I also the way I felt, I feel like even in Knives Out, though, he was over the top more at the beginning when he know the nurse isn't telling him something right? and that he was trying to intimidate her by the time they realize they're on the same page and team up by the time like he's like hanging out with her in the car and stuff. I feel like he toned himself down a lot. Yeah. I, th- like, I but, think so. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you're right. But you're right. Though, like he again. is, 
<laughs> he is a lot, especially because it was our first exposure to Benoit Blanc as a character, right? When right. he first appeared on the screen, you're like, what is happening? <laughs> what, what is, is that? <laughs> what did they do to James Bond? <laughs> <laughs> um, I like... <laughs> Uh, some people are making fun of the fact that he was playing Among Us. I think it's funny. Like they weren't like it's not. It's not like oh, um, it doesn't come off as hello, fellow kids. Because like the whole point is like the joke is about how bad he is at yeah. a basic game like Among Us. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, there with... was that time in 2020 where like everybody was playing it. Like it was just that yeah. was the thing. He yeah. caught the moment. <laughs> yeah. And like the, the all the games they mentioned are like it, like the, the kind of games you would mention that you would if you're trying to cheer up somebody who's in a funk in lockdown. Like they make sense. Like they're like, you want to play Jackbox? You want to play Quiplash? <laughs> and also, there was an imposter among them in the actual island. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. And it was him. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and he was bad at it. <laughs> Well, that was two, <laughs> but yeah, um, he hates Clue. Like, <laughs> I hate stupid, simple games. <laughs> um, but uh, what do you think about this whole like this trope that is well worn now? Like, um, they did it a lot in Sherlock, um, the TV show about like, oh, my mind's a race car and nowhere to go. <laughs> you know. Um, I think it worked here. A little better than it worked in Sherlock because yeah. it got really exhausting. In Sherlock. <laughs> Sherlock entirely got too exhausting. <laughs> it should have just had one season and ended it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it was fine. Like I don't think they they played it up too much. And seeing him in the bathtub that was just funny. With yeah, the that is funny. With, the, with a stupid little. Yeah. <laughs> um, and of course, um, this scene, especially with the flashback, there's a lot of cameos in it. Um, we have Angela Lansbury. Uh, yep, he's <laughs> zooming with Angela Lansbury and yeah. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Stephen Sondheim and <laughs> yeah, and a fourth person who I don't remember off the top of my head. <laughs> um, who was it? Oh, um, it was Natasha. Um. Uh, I forgot her last name. She's a lady. Oh, the from... Russian doll girl. Yeah, from uh, yeah. Russian doll. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and and they are playing themselves because their name says like Natasha. Evgeny, right, right. Yeah, uh, Angela. <laughs> um, and it makes sense. Like if he's if he's a celebrity and world's famous greater detective, <laughs> uh, and he's a fan of detective fiction, those are the kind of people he would hang out with, right? And Natasha's we know he's a, a fan of Stephen Sondheim because he was singing Stephen Sondheim in the first movie. <laughs> right, yeah. right. And to those people who are like, they made him gay for the sequel, I draw their attention to that scene in the first movie. <laughs> <laughs> he's always been gay. <laughs> and do you see how he dresses? <laughs> Uh, look, all um, who done it detectives are at least a little bit gay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, and of course, in the flashback, the reveal is um, his partner is Hugh Grant. <laughs> Hugh Grant hasn't aged much at all, has he? <laughs> Not really. He's a little older, but he's still Hugh Grant. Like he has, he has aged since like his um, uh, Notting Hill days, but he right. hasn't aged since like um, Love Actually. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> he looks basically the same. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that was over a decade ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I don't know if we'll do a sequel pitch at the end or not, but I have a one-shot sequel idea pitch, especially now that Hugh Grant has been revealed as a partner. You know the trope in a lot of established detective fiction, especially Sherlock Holmes fiction and things that are inspired by Sherlock Holmes, that in the life of the detective, there's a better detective, like right. a relation or something like that, like Mycroft. Holmes, Mycroft, right? yeah. I'm talking about Mycroft. And a lot of people have been really fucking up that trope lately, especially Sherlock. I'm sorry we're <laughs> going to be dunking on the show Sherlock a lot because I'm going to dunk on it later as well. <laughs> <laughs> but it deserves it and it relates. Um, in that they just make the other character a better detective. But the point is, they also have to introduce why the other Bacter detective isn't a functional detective. Right. Yeah. Right. In the original story, Mycroft has, is a germophobe, agrophobe. Like he can't leave his home, you know? Yeah, he had Bobby <laughs> Fisher syndrome, where like he was super duper smart, but he was so eccentric that he couldn't function anymore. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, exactly. The, um, and in... In Sherlock, he's just a smart dude that's like running the British Empire. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so why are we following Sherlock and not Mycroft, the more <laughs> interesting character? <laughs> um, I think in the sequel, my pitch is it should be um, uh, Ben or Blank and Hugh Grant's character, Phillips. Um, maybe they marry, maybe his last name is Blank as well. We don't know. Phillips, um, Holiday and Benoit has promised Phillips that he won't. He will like there's something going on. Whatever there's a, some sort of mystery, and that he's on a holiday. He won't try and solve a mystery here. <laughs> and then the thing is supposed to be that Philip is. Um, I want the reveal to be to have Philip as that character trope of Philip is the better detective, <laughs> and I want his drawback to be he's just exceedingly normal. He's just a normal person. Like when he see, like he pick up on clues about like people motivations and interaction, but he just never thought of them again because he's not paranoid. <laughs> he right. just he doesn't he he know he's clever. He doesn't need to prove himself he's clever. It's he, not like he's not connecting dots because he doesn't want to. Right. And then uh, as the story goes on, he uh, I I want the tension to be Benoit is trying to solve the mystery without telling Phillips. And then Phillips keep coming up with the clue before he could, but <laughs> Philip doesn't tell him because he doesn't realize that there is a mystery. He's not right. paranoid. <laughs> <laughs> That's the story I will pitch for the third movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just want Hugh Grant to be in the sequel as Benoit partner, probably. Like, more than as a podcast. More than a cameo, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Anything about anything else about Ben uh, Blank? I really love it how angry he got when he solved the mystery at the <laughs> end and he realized that this dumbass just drove over in his expensive car and killed her and then drove back <laughs> while he was attending somebody else's birthday. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, but it's dumb in a really clever way. <laughs> no, no, it's just <laughs> dumb. <laughs> um, that that is going to be a great reaction gift. Oh, totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, I've already seen it used multiple times. <laughs> because, you know, people recently, especially on Twitter, has been giving people a lot of opportunity to just say, no, they just dumb. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> okay. So we'll talk about more about Benoit later. Um other characters. Um Catherine Hans. 
I love Catherine Hahn's of everything. Catherine Hahn is, is fantastic. She's a national treasure. <laughs> um, in the scene breakdown, Ryan Johnson's uh, Catherine Hahn's character, um, his instruction to wardrobe was beige. A lot of beige. I want her to look like human equivalent. I want her costumes to look like fashion equivalent <laughs> of a sad trumpet song. <laughs> <laughs> I think he mean trombone, but he said trumpet. But uh, you know what you mean. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. Except in clothing form. I think they nailed it. <laughs> um <laughs> I like that but, she's a she's a she's a politician, but she's an independent and yep. she definitely acts like one of those fence sitters we were talking about earlier. <laughs> yes. Well, in the beginning you you get sold with the idea that she might be a disruptor, but this is this come back to our what we're discussing earlier that these characters are a little bit more um, three dimensional, a little bit more even handed. Yeah, not as cartoonish as the Knives Out character because yes, she's beholden to Miles' bro- character, but like at no point the movie does the movie say she's completely fake she's only in it for the power no she seemed to be just a normal politician and Miles power plant if it does succeed it's not contrary to her her beliefs it's not contrary to what she's campaigning if this hydrogen fuel is successful it will be a very green fuel it's just that she's being pressured with money into ignoring (laughs) signing off on a yeah. Yes, exactly. Signing off on technology that's not ready. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, like I said before, they fake out a little bit uh, that she could be the killer. But yeah, you know, um, if there's if one of the few complaints I heard about this movie is they don't do a lot with some of the characters, and I feel like um, Claire is one of them. Helen, um, and Catherine Hahn's character. Um, after the fake out, they don't really do much with her. Agreed. Yeah. Um, Lionel also. They don't really do much with, except he 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 gives the most exposition. He does give like, a lot he, of exposition, and like yeah. he seems really interesting at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, um, but he gets less interesting as the movie goes on. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, um, and and he's just there to give in context and confirm things Benoit Blanc say in the denouement. Right, <laughs> like he um, they. A little bit half ass red hair in him, a little bit in the middle, and then they just kind of drops it. <laughs> yeah, because they know um, you're not going to buy it. <laughs> Birdie and Duke is definitely two of the most obviously interesting characters in this. Let's talk about Birdie. One of my favorite running jokes <laughs> is the <laughs> references to many controversies that she's been in, and one of which is she compares herself to Harriet Tubman. <laughs> Uh, which, by the way, everything she does in this is because he's writing this in 2020. Remember, it's based on real controversies that happened in 2020. That somebody did compare themselves to a uh, um, uh, uh, black uh, uh, rights activist. I can't remember who it was, but it it, it is something it does like comparing vaguely yourself. sound familiar. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't. Like, it wasn't Harriet Tubman. It might be um, the the lady who. Um, uh, refused to sit Rosa Parks, yeah, yeah, Rosa Parks. Somebody compared themselves was to Rosa that? Parks. Yeah, but I don't remember. I can't remember was. who it was. <laughs> um, and, and they never said the word blackface, but is 
it's it's heavily implied (laughs) heavily implied that she put on blackface to dress as Beyonce for Halloween (laughs) and of course the joke about the politically incorrect was she used that she said she thought just referred generally to being cheap and not a direct insult against (laughs) Jewish people and the word was Jewy I love the delivery of that one. I really yeah. do. Just because like <laughs> you start thinking in your head, okay, maybe it's one of these words that you you could maybe not know, like like you know, gypped or shyster or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, it's 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 straight up Jewy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and uh, which all felt like just jokes at her character expense, but it actually all have a point because it leads to the reveal that the thing she has uh, that the thing Miles is holding over her is she has sweatpants produced as sweatshorts because she thought sweatshorts were where they make sweatpants. <laughs> that reveal where she's like, and you you replied with awesome and a bitmoji of you doing a little dab. <laughs> ah. Um, but once again, coming back to the three-dimensionality of it, she's like airheaded like that right but also that scene where Benoit Blanc turns around and says like um don't you think um it is uh, I I don't you agree I that I think is dangerous to mistake speaking the truth and speaking whatever pops into your head speaking without thought yeah (laughs) speaking without thoughts yeah um I thought the joke was going to be like she doesn't get it right but no, she understands it. Like she's not stupid. She's airheaded. She just doesn't care because she never really need to think about consequences of her action. Because her reply is she understood what he said. I thought the right. joke was going to be like she didn't think she was getting insulted. She understood what he said, but she's only interested in flirting at the moment. So her reply is, "Oh, you're calling me dangerous." <laughs> uh, so Duke is an amalgamation of. Uh, a lot of people said this movie is exceedingly online. It is. Well, yeah, we li- definitely. We live in an exceedingly online age. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> this, this is how it is. <laughs> and this movie doesn't hide it. I mean, like, one of the first things no. you see is him on Zoom, you know? like Yeah. Yeah. They nail his set. They nail the, the dumb setup of um, uh, this guy, no shysters, t- trying to appear richer and more well-off and living in a better life they are. Like, he called his hot girlfriend into the shot. In the in the back, he has two cars, and he has multiple skateboards hanging, right. you know? Um, it, it, it's just as we're recording this, Andrew Tate <laughs> just... <laughs> posted a fucking thing about his 13 cars or something <laughs> to Greta Thunberg and then promptly got arrested on human trafficking charges <laughs> on his clapback video to a 19-year-old girl. Um, so, you know, yeah, this movie exceeding online, but they nail it. They nail the things they talk about. <laughs> yeah, this guy, like, He's even, Andrew Tate. He's even Joe without Rogan. Andrew Tate, he's just like he's just that bro dude who's like the the man uh, man men's rights guy. Like you, yeah. you know this guy. Even if you don't, you can't name anyone in particular. He's just he's such a perfect amalgamation. Yeah. You yeah. said it. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, I can name like six people who this guy is, right? Like yeah. the, the element, like the the whole ranch about breastification of America is <laughs> referencing the pussification of America. Right, right, right. That who who did that? Was it Joe Rogan? I don't even remember. Probably Joe Rogan. It could have been another guy, but yeah, like and uh, and of course they're um, selling um rhino horn thing is alice <laughs> jones you know yep. <laughs> <laughs> bone pills thing is alice jones and i thought i thought when they did like his mom slapping thing is like i thought it was going to be a bad joke about like he's a men's right activist because um he he his mom is me to him <laughs> but like on the rewatch his mom isn't actually mean to him he just doesn't really care that he's doing his dumb ass recording <laughs> and she only like okay nobody should slap each other but she only she she only respond to him that way because he says shut up <laughs> yeah like he doesn't respect her so like yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and and also like she's smart you know <laughs> and she solved that dumb puzzle thing <laughs> Uh, oh, and another thing that the, that puzzle box is stupid. Uh, they straight in the first act, Benoit Blank straight up said, "Stupid children's puzzles." <laughs> <laughs> it's just saying so that he said simple children. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, because he never actually solved them, but still, it's accurate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Um, Dave Batista is by far the best wrestler ten actor acting right now. Um, no yeah. disrespect, no disrespect to John Cena because he's also really good. Um, um, disrespect very clearly meant to The Rock. <laughs> <laughs> the Rock is All good at what he is, but he's meant. The Rock. <laughs> he's not really an actor. <laughs> Peg, Peg is great. Um, all the visual joke about Peg, um, Jessica Hendricks' character. Yeah. Uh, putting out fires yeah <laughs> putting out fires like all the background jokes everybody have gold embroidered glasses and she got given a red lone red cup <laughs> and uh, in one thing she's writing her name on it. <laughs> <laughs> like all these background visual jokes are great my favorite one is she comes she go away in the beginning of the dino man and she comes back in the middle of it and she's like Wait, what? What's what? happening? Who points the who? <laughs> <laughs> but my complaint is once again, out of all the characters that's underutilized in this, Peg is severely underutilized. I thought there is going to be a scene at some point where she's utilized because she's not part of the one percenter. Like, I I thought oh, she's she just a working up. class girl, yeah, exactly, trying to make her way. I thought she she would team up with Benoit at some point. Uh, it just never paid off. And I as even the joke where she's missing Denouement, uh, she missed most of the Denouement. Uh, sorry, did I explain? If I didn't, Denouement is the the bit where the detective explained everything and some of the mystery. Um, I thought that joke would come back because that's a good joke. And also, like you you know the rule of three with comedy. Like if it is a good setup, you hit it three times, right? Right. And they do that with Bertie J's uh, controversy jokes. <laughs> I thought that would do that. They would do that is with as well, especially because, like, her reaction on some of the later things that happened doesn't make sense, knowing that she missed half of the explanation. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, whiskey. 
I really love what they did with that character and how that character seemed like pre-flashback and post-flashback. Yeah, she's the one who got the most recontextualization outside of like Helen. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I hope the flashback would recontextualize all the character, and they did for uh, varying tiny amount of levels, but they didn't do as good a job as they did with whiskey. Whiskey just realistically look like a completely different character after the flashback and she's she's smart she's like she she kind of liked you like it's fine like before we thought she was kind of like a gold digging bimbo and after the contestualization she's like well she's smart and why shouldn't she sleep with duke and also enjoy the help it's giving her career she said she's straight up said like yeah i like him like he's fine like i don't really right. like the turn he's taking like she seems like a reasonable girl Right. <laughs> and she's not cheating on Duke, like she's actually being used by Duke to his career. Yeah, she's reluctant to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was a really cool scene where like, you know, Benoit's looking over his shoulder, and then when you recontextualize it, then you see Helen looking over his shoulder, looking yeah. over his shoulder. Yeah. Helen breaking that twig um is also in the original scene. Like yeah. you can hear her breaking the twig in the original scene. Yeah. <laughs> um Daryl. <laughs> I love Daryl. I'm so glad he wasn't like a big part of the plot. Yeah. Because I was worried that they were going to use him as part of the plot. Yeah. He's just there yeah. as a running joke, and I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it goes nowhere. Right? And like, how does he relate? Like, they never explain anything. I like it better that way. Daryl is beyond explanation. <laughs> and they space out the jokes far enough that whenever they trot him out for a joke again, I have forgotten about right. it. <laughs> and it's always in the middle of something like it really exciting. Like you've yeah. got Helen running around from room to room and then she busts into his room. Like, hey, you want to hang out? Yes, the biggest bomb you've ever seen. <laughs> and then during the climax, you know, things are exploding and there he is with Benoit just smoking. You know? <laughs> Um, before I get to uh, the complaints, let's talk about some of the cameos we haven't talked about yet and some of the notable scenes. Um, we got Ethan Hawke doing the COVID spray thing. Uh, uh, and like, apparently he was actually filming um, uh, Moon Knight at the time. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And um, they just brought uh, him in. <laughs> I have um, some slight complaints about that scene. Yeah. Well, one complaint and one funny joke. Uh, another complaint is that I don't really like the rich people have secret cure to COVID <laughs> joke. It, it plays too much into a lot of the wrong conspiracies. I get it is just a joke, knowing Ryan yeah. Johnson's politics in this. But it makes me a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> Also, second, I'm sorry I'm about to say all of this to you all, but the internet has ruined this scene for me and it, it will ruin it for me too. I want to ruin it for you too. Um, when they spray things through the back of the throat for every character, they react very badly uh, with terrible gag reflex, except Banois Blank. <laughs> Think about it for a second. <laughs> it's because he smokes cigars, dude. <laughs> I think you are smoking cigars wrong. <laughs> I I really insist you smoke cigars differently. <laughs> um, the fact that this thing is set up during COVID and it is necessary to the plot, 
Uh, and it is a lot of it is used for character building, like for example, what kind of mask they wear, like the scientists wear the N65 mask. Um, not N65, <laughs> uh, whatever that number is. 95, uh, I think. Yeah. Um, and of course, Birdie wear that <laughs> stupid dumbass. <laughs> yeah. Also based on a real life um thing that a celebrity did. Um a yeah, couple celebrities, that's... like Alyssa Milano and somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. Uh, uh so yeah, that's I really what did you think? Like I, I feel like a lot of the movies that are based during COVID time is like setting a movie during 9-11. Like it's <laughs> it come up worse than it can come across as really crass but i think it was yeah. fine here like yeah yeah the like shot in the throat was a bit of a cheat um that wasn't really necessary they could have just taken their masks off when they got to the island but yeah yeah um yeah it's fine and, and like the way he used it to build the characters um justified its inclusion in the plot um so you want to talk about this um both Yo-Yo Ma's cameo and his <laughs> explanation of Fuse. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to argue with Yo-Yo Ma. That's not how I understood Fugues, but I like his explanation of Fugues as a musical motif layered one onto another, which is kind of the whole glass onion metaphor that gets banged over your head a lot. Um, I just think that's cool. <laughs> and it's not just that, it's the structure of this movie. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's what yeah. Ryan Johnson is doing. He's layering the story yeah. one on top of the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which re completely recontextualize and it plays a different tune. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love how all the metaphors and things in this movie, like they just straight up explain it to you up front. <laughs> yeah, they're not sure. <laughs> they do it. <laughs> like if, if, if this were trying to be pretentious and cute yeah. and everything that people accuse Ryan Johnson of being, he wouldn't do that. He wouldn't try yeah. to, he wouldn't explain it to you what he's doing. Yeah, I think some people feel the explanation is them trying to let you know it's clever. And sometimes it is. Sometimes in Rick and Morty, for example, it yeah. is. But here, I love Rick and Morty. Don't at me, okay? I just don't <laughs> like Rick and Morty fans. Um, <laughs> and I also just think Dan Harmon is just a lunatic. <laughs> a lunatic I love, a lunatic nonetheless. Um I, I understand how some people think this kind of explanation is just uh, people trying to say, look, uh, do you understand how clever I am? But I feel like if you give him the benefit of the doubt and actually work, look at the work in itself, I think it's he just, he he wants people to enjoy his work. And it's not just an in-joke. It's not just like elbowing each other and being like, if you're clever, <laughs> you'll get it, right? Like, right. he's just like, no, this is what I'm doing. And here it is. <laughs> um, so the... The glass case gag. So <laughs> there's multiple Chekhov's gun in this movie, including Chekhov's gun. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, I, I, I wish he would have named Juke uh, Chekhov. Chekhov. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, in fact, if one of the tiny complaints about it is like there's too way too many Chekhov's guns in this movie, but I really enjoy the Mona Lisa button Chekhov's gun. <laughs> I love the, the just the recurring joke of uh, yeah. every time like his phone goes off or somebody makes a loud noise, the the thing goes up. Every time it made me laugh, every single time, and it was way more than three. 
Yeah, <laughs> it makes me laugh, but also later they keep using it as a dramatic like punctuation a, mark. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. It's it's become like a uh, diegetic sound effect. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is really fun. Um, and of course, um, very. Very satisfying watching Mona Lisa burn, which is <laughs> not a sentence or thought I thought I would have said. <laughs> um, and on um, Rock, New Rockstar pointed out as well, they it's actually accurate enough to realize that Mona Lisa is painted on wood, right? Where not a lot of movies do, <laughs> including I think one of the National Treasure movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, National Treasure, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is what it is. Um, <laughs> we both caught the piece of shit dog. Um, <laughs> piece of shit. <laughs> piece of shit. Uh, uh, gag. Uh, the first time they did it because we watched things with subtitles on. I wonder if you don't, you might have missed it. <laughs> but we thought it was just a joke. No, it became a major plot point. Right. <laughs> There's multiple of those in these movies as well. Do you also realize that that Banksy picture, like? Like everything in his life, he completely missed the point of it. Of course. Like the original yeah. is uh, somebody throwing a Molotov cocktail. And the only difference in his version is he replaced the Molotov cocktail with like a scepter. Right, yeah. Because <laughs> he doesn't get the original painting. <laughs> and it's Banksy. There's not much to get. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So do you have any complaints? Like I think this movie is nine and a half, nine point seven five out of ten for me. Um, my one of my friends says nine out of ten, and I fully respect that. Um, but oh. I think the the ending, the resolution, is a little weak. Um, I think so too. But I want to hear why you think it's weak, and what do you what do you think they should do? How would they would change it? I don't know. I just I'm not satisfied with the I can solve the mystery, but I don't have evidence. Um, canard especially when there's a tape recorder in the mix they could have just used that um and i i just i know i don't like that they had to destroy the mona lisa to make a point and <laughs> i also really don't like the whole crystallized hydrogen thing because i think it's pretty stupid and as oh my, you think as a as a device like it as a device it's, it's, it's bad science <laughs> it's, it's very bad science as my son even pointed out to me <laughs> um, <laughs> But like, I don't know, it's the ending felt a little, it kind of hit me with a thud. It didn't it didn't like satisfy me and I can't really put my finger on why. So there you go. OK, so I can I pitch to you why you think it's dissatisfying? Yeah, sure. Uh, because you don't buy Miles downfall. I sure don't. I think he can easily get out of this. <laughs> right. Um, and um, how many people know his thing was being ran on um on the on clear on that on this crystallized hydrogen even if it's public knowledge what requires for this to be his downfall is for the same people who refuse to testify against him to be like no it was being run on clear and it exploded but it also exploded because she started a fire and threw an explosive right yeah, yeah like this in itself does not mark the destruction of clear like it doesn't that mona lisa bit wrap up the arc of him being run, want, wanting to be mentioned the same sentence as mona lisa like that that come a whole circle but the clear bit doesn't come whole circle because no you just like 
you just exploded his house. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't really matter that you use clear. You might as well use dynamite. <laughs> like you didn't actually show that his system is flawed. You actually just tossed it into a fire. <laughs> like a, every fuel burn if you toss it in a fire. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, and of course, the point is also like for the ending to work. Like I said, the people who refuse to testify against him, those people actually have to say things to his that will lead to his demise and my complaint is that how exploding the whole thing doesn't change the situation uh, we still need the people who refuse to testify with against him 10 minutes ago to say bad things against him to bring about his downfall yeah and they've already shown that they're mercurial by like how much they're willing to change their story like right away. Like they say, oh, well, then we did see that because we don't like it. Yeah. But then, you know, they could very easily be swayed in the other direction. Well, yeah, but um, not just the sway back thing. The sway itself isn't isn't satisfying. The sway itself. I feel like I feel like Ryan Johnson wrapped up the mystery and he just like, and there's the story. Right. And I feel like uh, um the people changing their mind at the end it's like why why did they change it like it's yeah there's like, no real uh, reason for it there's no real reason they and just got caught up in the moment yes and my other complaint which directly relates and i'll bring it together in a second is that um they make a point earlier in the thing that somebody the way look at the way that andy was killed like it's not a violent murder it's not like it's not super hands-on right like it's it's something like a coward and a first-time killer could bring themselves to do yeah uh, it, a narcissistic enough guy you know like it's not like it's not like it's a stabbing or like it's right. like somebody murdering someone with a hammer and um yeah that's fine like um and the reveal that miles did that that's fine but Clearly now there's an escalation in Miles' behavior throughout the night. He killed Andy by poisoning, by by thingy, and then he straight up more hands-on poison um, Duke as well in front of people. He's getting bolder, and he's and then he tried to shoot Helen. Right, he doesn't succeed in killing her, but which is another complaint still- of mine that she just happened to have the diary right there. That's really that's lazy. Yeah, uh, I, I, they should have made, just made it so that he missed, and then right. they pretended that he hit. Like I don't like, not enough movies don't, not enough movies say like, oh, they missed. Like handguns are really hard to hit people with, guys. <laughs> like they, they are. They're not very accurate, especially with. through glass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, and by just some millionaire dude who's probably not even a gun expert. <laughs> Yeah, good point. Um, so he has escalated. Like he, uh, he has tried to violently kill somebody right now. I just don't buy that when all the destruction is happening, especially after the house blew up, and um, uh, Helen gave a whole speech about no, you don't understand. You're too stupid to understand. I've ruined you. How he would just sit there and take it, right? What I, yeah. The way it all would tie together better in my head is I need another layer of violent outbursts for him to be like, okay, well, then I have to kill you two. Or be like, well, if I kill all of you, then nobody would know Clea was at fault in this. And then he start attacking them in desperation, right? 
Right. That that would move right into being like, and then he realizing that he can't single handedly <laughs> kill six people. <laughs> like that would really also tie into the message that these rich one percenter, all their powers are soft powers. <laughs> you know. Yeah. There's way more of us <laughs> if we no longer care about money enough if we remove that from the equation they can't really do anything to us <laughs> it would directly tie into the thing and also daniel craig still looked like daniel craig like i feel like after he he handed the clear thing uh, benoit blanc removing himself from the thing that's a little bit weak it would not be out of character or unbelievable to daniel craig to throw a punch at the end of the movie like the way I would have laid out that scene is even if you have to do everything the same way, explode with Clea and Harold uh, Lutz, him going like, okay, maybe pull out the gun because he still has the gun somewhere. Yeah. Be like, now I have to kill all of you. And then for Benoit Blanc to reveal that he has already, Benoit Blanc has already removed all the bullets from the, the gun's hiding place. And then for him to get punched out by the fact that he's outnumbered or by Benoit Blanc, right? That would have been a lot more satisfying. That would have that would also directly lead to me that all the six people are like, well, now that you, we know you're you would also kill us, of course we're gonna testify. Right. This. Yeah. That's a more believable turn. And I think that's a better ending. <laughs> no, I agree. I, I think that would work a lot better. Cause yeah, they would they don't show any real reaction to learning that he killed uh Andy, who was their friend. Yeah. Yep. But like if he was giving them a direct threat, that would yeah. get them to finally react. Yeah. Yes. And not just that the way this movie ended, I just don't believe I just don't believe the character of Miles would just sit there, accept that he's ruined, and wait the whole night for the boat to come and get him. Right. I feel like he would be coming up with dumb but dumb plans <laughs> nonetheless to get out of that situation. So I feel like the way I suggest would have been better right i agree uh and of course i already said that um the characters are underutilized and you didn't like her being shot in the dark. i really didn't like it <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a lot poppier than this movie is the rest of the movie is not that poppy right you know? <laughs> yeah <laughs> like if that happened in like say poirot mystery i'd be like i don't care <laughs> <laughs> Like it's not even like a flask; it's a book, <laughs> <laughs> not even a very thick book. <laughs> and like pistols aren't that powerful. Most people don't know. And that, again, but... through glass too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Anything else you want to say to wrap up? Uh, take on um, glass onion. Um, I really hope Ryan Johnson keeps making these because I really like it. Um, well, he, he's definitely making one more because he, oh, he, he was hired. To, yeah, he was hired to make this and another one for like two hundred million dollars or something ridiculous. Nice, <laughs> and and that's not like the budget. They just gave him two hundred. He can spend whatever he wants. This movie costs forty million to make, so he's making bank. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, good. I hope he keeps going because I really yeah. like it. Yeah, something that um that's something that Ben Shapiro pointed out to be like he's a one percent, but no, he's being paid for product. Right, <laughs> he's actually working yeah. for it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. So further adventures of Bandwidth Blanks, you on board, right? Absolutely, definitely. Yeah. Yes. There, there's um talk of spinoffs, but. How who would you spin off? Yeah, you <laughs> don't need to spin off. Just keep following Benoit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan Johnson version of Perot. I'm down. 
Yeah. Look, when, when people talk about spin-off about these kind of things, it's just studio except being like, how can we take advantage of this brand name that become popular without paying Daniel Craig? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this is pretty much the last um, podcast of this format. Um, in between, even when we switch to an ep- uh, in-depth episode-by-episode analysis of mostly sci-fi show, in between series and stuff, we might tackle movies, sci-fi movies or movies like this. Uh, we might tackle a show or things in one episode if they are gifts. Um, but I hope you come with us on the new journey of our format change. Yes. Yes. Until then, I hope you have had a reasonable 2022. I don't know <laughs> if we can hope for more than that. And I hope Let's you just have... hope it didn't suck. Yeah. Yeah, I hope you have a brilliant 2023 because it hasn't started yet, so it's full of hope. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and until then, until next time, I have been Lynn. And I have been Eric. And this has been the Streamy Heat. And life is but a stream. Do you need a minute? Um, I'm starting to get a little, but I'll be okay. Let's just power through. All right, cool. Uh, cold medicine. Ah, uh, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. A few moments later. That will lead to his demise. If I gotta go for a second, give me a minute. Okay, okay, sorry. Mm-hmm. You good? Did you throw up? Sorry about did that. Did you throw up? I did. Like a freshman. Tell me you were recording. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was recording the whole time. <laughs>